are listening to the 200th episode of Monday Mana Sports Talk, covering all of the lights, all of the sports, here on May 10th, 2021. So let's get it going with Monday Madness Sports Talk. Welcome to Monday Madness Sports Talk. My name is Noah Festenstein, here talking the latest in Chicago sports and beyond. Welcome to the 200th edition of MMST, all the way from Harper College Radio to Radio DePaul Sports. Such a pleasure to have you with me here on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I am there and here for the 200th time. A milestone here on May 10th, 2021. I don't want to get emotional about it. Let's just have fun. Let's talk some sports. But we're going to do it in an unorthodox fashion today. Being that it is a special episode. And I also haven't been on in a couple weeks. So we're going to gain some ground on what I've missed. Most notably, the NFL draft, baseball, playoff pushes and hockey and basketball because... We practically know what's happening in both leagues, with the exception of the NBA having a play-in tournament. And then we've got some UFC to talk about as well, so just a lot to talk about in those four main topics today. However, I this is a special episode. I gotta do something special for it. There's gotta be some sort of unorthodox element to this show. So every single segment I do, I'll be talking about other sports, not just the sports I've just mentioned, but the sports that I have talked about throughout the five and a half years that I've been doing a radio show ever since March of 2016, more like five years and two, two and a half months that I've been doing Monday Madness Sports Talk. And ever since then, I've been doing other podcasts. So I've been doing hundreds upon hundreds of different radio shows and podcasts but Monday Mana Sports Talk is my it, 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 it's my personal passion project. You know, it, it's something that I have worked on for so long that it doesn't seem like I'm going to stop doing it anytime soon. Depending on where I go next in life. Whether that's, of course, doing sports journalism or play-by-play broadcasting or producing, etc. Wherever I go, I hope that Monday Madness Sports Talk is going to be with me throughout. Because this this show means so much to me. I've done so much. I've met so many cool people, interviewed so many cool people. I've had so many cool people co-host with me here on the show. Uh, Shout-outs to all the co-hosts that I have co-hosted with here on Monday Madness Sports Talk. Because they're just a part of it 
as I am. They've kind of propelled me to not just become a broadcaster, but a, a partner, a, a, a person who I, I, I can work with, who someone else can work with. And it's something special to me. So shout out to Blaze Mesa, James Jefferson, Cesar Sanchez, and Colby Marshall, all the co-hosts that have been on Monday Mass Sports Talk. Um, it's been a pleasure, an absolute pleasure. And for me to be able to enhance my solo broadcasting skills as well with this show has been a blessing. And for it to reach 200 episodes is something beyond what I expected when I first started this in March of 2016. So, big shout-outs there. I'm going to have a couple other names uh, throughout the show that I'm going to shout-out and give thanks to for everything that um, they've done, um, especially my family. Shout-out to all the moms out there. Happy Mother's Day. It was yesterday. Shout-out to my mom. I love you so much. Without her, I don't think I would be doing this right now because you know I wouldn't have the motivation or the influence to do something so great as this. And it's something I'm proud of, and what means a lot to me is something that she's proud of and what my family's proud of. So, once again, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Hope you had a wonderful day yesterday, and hope you enjoy this broadcast today. So, here's how it's going to go down. I said the four main sports I'm going to talk about today, baseball, football, with the NFL draft, so American football, talk some basketball, and then some hockey as well. So those are the four main things I'm going to get into today. However, within each of the four segments, I'm going to be getting into other sports that I've talked about here on Monday Mass Sports Talk, miscellaneous sports. So, fun fact, the first thing I talked about in that show, and well, I forgot the exact date, in March of 2016, I remember the first exact topic I talked about was the Summer Olympics... That happened that year in 2016. Pardon the voice crack there. I remember talking the Olympics, and that was just something that was like breaking the ice for me, if you know what I mean. Like, you got a whole slew of sports put together in one whole three week, two to three week of uh, event that I could talk about, and that that was what helped me break the ice. You know, I got to talk about soccer. I got to talk about um, other cool track events, swimming, etc. So I'll, I'll talk about that because also we got the Summer Olympics coming up here in a very different year considering the pandemic. So talk some Olympics today. So I'll get into that. Um, other sports that I have talked about throughout the years, including soccer, esports. I'll get into esports as well today at some point. Um, and then let's look at the other sport. I have a whole list of sports that I have talked about. Uh, golf, get into some golf, maybe talk some masters, maybe because obviously that has already passed or passed well beyond, I think, a couple weeks ago. Um, also the Kentucky Derby and horse racing, get into that because there's some uh, controversy in this year's race, being that the horse that won just tested positive for steroids, or at least an overdose of steroids. Um, so we'll talk about that as well. Uh, and then get into other sports that I talked about. Maybe I'll figure something out along the way. But I have talked about so many sports. So every single sport that I can recall that I talked about on this show will be on today's show in episode 200. Because why not? 
It's episode 200. Let's talk about everything, right? So, um, I'll even talk about medieval combat. Probably not, but maybe. Um, <laughs> you know, if you look back about maybe a month or two ago, I did a Mini Manus episode, and I'm going to continue that doing that soon. Mini Manus Sports History, which is an extension of Monday Manus Sports Talk. If you go back uh, um, several episodes ago, you'll find it talking about the first sports ever invented. And I remember discussing, you know, swimming, not, well, wrestling, running, uh, archery. So I talked about all those sports. So those sports don't really count because it wasn't a Monday Madness Sports Talk episode. So, and I remember talking about archery for the first time. I don't need to talk about archery today, but other sports that I can recall that I've covered, I will talk about today. And the updated news elements of what's going on in that sport today so let's say in ufc talk about ufc talk about what happened this past weekend right talk about um what's happening like i just said with the kentucky derby it's kind of timely right because you got the olympics coming up you just got horse racing um everything's just very timely so i'm gonna also talk about soccer today talk about how the uh europa super league the european super league just basically got dismantled like, I never thought it was going to work, but I'll even talk about that as well. So just a lot to look forward to. A very unorthodox episode today compared to all of other episodes when I am more consistent talking about just four sports. But I'm going to mention as many sports as I can today because it's 200. Why not? So um, that is that, really, for what's going to happen on today's show. Uh, I don't. Uh, I don't know if... I'm going to extend certain segments because of certain sports that I talk about, but each segment will be a thematic segment. So the next segment that is coming up right now will be a baseball segment. Let me talk about what happened in the past couple weeks in baseball with the Chicago Cubs and the Chicago White Sox. And then also get into some other sports that I talked about. I'll probably get into some Olympics next segment as well and more here on the 200th episode of monday man sports talk so happy to have you with me today it's gonna be a blast sit back relax enjoy what you can what you love is that of monday man sports talk here with your host noah festenstein be back in just a bit stay tuned This is Noah Festenstein, host of Monday Madness Sports Talk, and I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in for this week's episode of MMST. I want to remind you, if you want merchandise, please email me at noah.festenstein at gmail.com. Welcome back to the 200th edition of Monday Madness Sports Talk. Here on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Glad to have you with me here on a milestone episode. And we're going to begin it like any other episode with baseball. This is Breathe Caroline and Jay Cosmic. With See This Guy playing some... Notable music that I've played so far in my name as Sports Talk, so look forward to that throughout the rest of the episode. 
So let's do it. All right, so let's begin here with baseball and the Chicago Cubs. We'll get to the Chicago White Sox very soon, but as I would love to start us off with the Cubs, it makes more sense because this Cubs team, it's been like a roller coaster ride this year. You know, when you look at the record, it's 17 and 17. It's up, down, sideways, diagonal, whatever. You might want to call this Cubs season so far. It It's hard to say that this Cubs team is a playoff team just yet. You know, you look at the roster on paper, they seem like a playoff team. They seem like a team that can really do some damage. And yeah, they have so far. They've had unbelievable games where they've scored 15 runs and then they have a day where they score a zero and, you know, they just got nothing to show for it. And that's what's the most frustrating about this Cubs team. You know, I'd rather have a Cubs team that doesn't score 15 runs and rather just scores five to seven runs on average. When you have a, a starting rotation in a bullpen that is giving up an average of four to seven runs a game, you got to have that average of scoring that amount, right? And the Cubs aren't doing that. They're not meeting the criteria that they need to in terms of scoring runs when they need to. Hence the game yesterday with the Cubs and Pirates and the, the Cubs, you know, losing their fifth five-game winning streak. However, a five-game winning streak that really helped the Cubs come back to that 500 record. And I think this 500 record at 17 and 17 is the epitome of this Cubs season so far. There's been ups, there's been downs, and there's been some question marks. And I think those question marks are definitely resolve around the starting rotation and the consistency that is the Chicago Cubs offense. And it's tough to say that it's inconsistent when you, you like I said, this team has scored 15 runs and the, uh, this past series or the series before the Pirates, the Cubs were able to beat the best pitchers in a very good Los Angeles Dodgers starting rotation. They beat Clayton Kershaw in the first inning by making him score by scoring four runs against him in the first inning, knocking Clayton Kershaw out of the game for the first time in the first inning, I think really in a very long time. And Trevor Bauer the next day having a good game, but then the Cubs still winning that game, even though Trevor Bauer started that game. So my concern is that the Cubs aren't beating the teams that they should be beating, the teams that they are considerably better than, especially the Pirates, especially the Reds. And the one concern in the division for the Cubs at the moment is the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, a team in which is on a three-game winning streak, is 8-2 and two in their last 10 games, and they're big hitters in Orlando Arnato and Paul Goldschmidt just going off, you know. And then you got a Milwaukee Brewers team that are, is 19 and 16 ahead of the Cubs. So the Cubs have some competition, not just in the division, but for the wild card. And they have, it's important to recognize that at this point of the season. I'll be getting into the National League standings here very soon with the regard of the Chicago Cubs' chances so far at the playoffs. Right now, I'd give the Cubs a 35% chance at making the playoffs at this point in the season. Obviously, it's still very early, but 
it's safe to say that you're kind of recognizing what the weaknesses and what the strengths are with this Cubs team. So, let's get into it. I think the biggest strength with this strength with this Cubs team, the biggest strength, and I think it's a very important strength, is that the Cubs can recognize what their weaknesses and strengths are in the first place. They know that when when they're performing bad, that they are performing bad. And when they're performing good, they are performing good. But the thing is, is this is where the weakness lies, is that when they are performing good, they don't tap into that energy the next day when they... You know, one day score 15 runs, and the next day they score zero. So, um, it's just interesting to see the run differential with this Cubs team is a negative five, right? You know, I, I, I like that stat. I like the run differential stat. It goes to show what's working out and what's not working out. And what is clearly not working out is the pitching for the Cubs. You know, when the Cubs are not having a good day offensively, the pitching has a great day, but then the pitching staff loses because the offense can't get anything done. And then when the offense does get stuff done, the pitching can't even get it done. And it's a high-scoring game. Cubs lose. Right? Yesterday, I think the biggest question mark in the pitching staff for this Cubs team is Kyle Hendricks. He's great one day, and then he's given up four to six runs in the first inning on another day. Yesterday's game against the Pirates, a team that is stricken with a lot of injuries. You know, Polanco's injured. The day before, um, I believe Moran got injured, right? You know, this Pirates team had, like, basically their B team on in the middle of their lineup going into yesterday's game, and then they ended up scoring four runs against Chicago's supposed top pitcher. To me, Kyle Hendricks seems like a, a three or third or four pitcher in the rotation rather than a one. And it's kind of concerning considering, you know, the expectations that Kyle Hendricks has with this Cubs team. You know, you're supposed to be a leader, a, a, a player that can really amp up the momentum at the start of the rotation. And you need that in a rotation that doesn't have a lot of firepower. You know, Jake Arrieta, Trevor Williams, and now Adbert Alzali. Right? You gotta have that momentum. And Zach Davies had a great game the other day. Um, he pitched seven innings against the Pirates, giving up zero runs. And that's what you need. But then the Cubs didn't even score offensively until later in that ball game. So you got to give support to those pitchers if you really, really want to stay consistent as a winning ball club. You know, you look at San Francisco Giants, right? They're first in the West against teams that are significantly better than them in the San Diego Padres and Los Angeles Dodgers. But what the San Francisco Giants have done is they've found consistency between their offense and their defense. They, they have found ways to catch up to teams when they score less runs or keep teams at bay get the you know get the joke San Francisco Bay keeping them at bay when they score enough runs right they don't have many notable pitchers or hitters but they have consistency that's the beautiful part about baseball is that you don't have to have great players in your lineup you have to have consistency if you're going to be consistently bad 
just go down to the minors. If you're going to be consistently good, you deserve an everyday place in that lineup, right? It's 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 math, basically. It's math. That's what baseball, I think, is about. It's math, right? You know, you got to look at the numbers. You got to crunch it down. You got to understand, are these consistent numbers? Because if it is, who's responsible? Who's going to be that guy? Who's going to be that group of guys that will keep these numbers consistent, keep these wins going, win out of four out of five games. That's what makes a really good team. Four out of five games, that's what the St. Louis Cardinals are are doing right now. They're just winning. They got a plus 23 run differential because their offense knows how to be consistent. And that's what I'm nervous about when the Cubs play the Cardinals. And I said it before the season, the Cardinals are going to be the most consistent team in the league. They're going to have uh, uh, time to really flourish with their offense because of the amount of depth they have. Not just depth, but firepower. In the middle of the lineup, up and down guys who can get on base, not guys who can just hit home runs. This Cubs team has a lot of those guys, but they're just not doing it. They're not... I I just don't... The Cubs have a 4-9 away record. They gotta fix that. They gotta they gotta play well on the road. You gotta play well in the times you need to play well at, and these are the times to do it. The Cubs right now are on the road. They're gonna be playing tomorrow in Cleveland. They got a two game set in Cleveland, and the Cleveland Indians are eighteen and fourteen. So hey, if the White Sox are gonna root for the Cubs at any point of the season, they gotta root for them now. So um. It just bothers me that the Cubs Cubs fans are saying, oh, the Cubs are the best team in Chicago. Oh, the Cubs are the best team in Chicago. But listen to the stat. The Cubs have a negative five run differential compared to the White Sox, who have a plus 53 run differential. Think about that. That's the best in the league. The White Sox, a 19 and 13 record. And above six game, six games above five hundred. At a plus fifty three run differential, it goes to show, even through some tough moments in this White Sox season with the injury of Eloy Jimenez and now most recently Luis Robert, the White Sox have found consistency with at least their offense, and I think. Cubs fans, after every win, you're jinxing it. Don't jinx it. You got a whole 162-game season. Whoever's better at that point, whoever's got the better record, is the best team in Chicago. Don't come and tell me right now with an inconsistent team that has a negative five run differential who scores a an average of three and a half runs per game that that team is the best team in Chicago. No, not even close. The White Sox are clearly the best team in Chicago right now because they actually have found consistency in some facets. The Cubs have not, right? The Cubs have had two separate four or five game winning streaks and then they go on a losing trend. You can't do that as a professional ball club that that on paper is a playoff team. This is the last season that the Cubs have their main core here and it doesn't even seem like they're playing like that. They, they they play well with each other when they realize the implications. And the Cubs aren't doing that. I'm not confident with this Cubs team right now, if you, if you want me to be completely honest with you. You know, if this 
trend continues, this 500 trend with the Cubs continue, they're going to be sellers at the All-Star break. They have to be. At least one or two of the main core guys in the Cubs could include Chris Bryant, and that's the one silver lining. Chris Bryant has the most amount of extra base hits in the league. He's got 22 extra base hits, and this guy, not just at the plate, but in the field, has played five different positions all this year. I don't think Chris Bryant's value has been any higher than it was back in 2016 when he was the MVP. Honestly, Chris Bryant is posting better numbers than that 2016 year. Through the first month and a half of 2016, Chris Bryant had four home runs. Now he's got nine. So, as long as you're looking at the silver linings, yes, it's nice to know that you got a player on your team that's consistent. But players like Jack Peterson, Javier Baez, even Anthony Rizzo, they haven't really found that much consistency. They're at best a 230 average. You cannot be doing that. Wilson Contreras caught fire early in the season. Now, I don't know where he is. I think he's injured. So, hopefully he comes back with some firepower. And another big silver lining is uh, Duffy. And Duffy has had an unbelievable season so far. Coming up clutch and when he needs to. You know, getting a... Well, massive base hits at the times when the Cubs need him most. When they haven't found consistency, they have a guy that can go up there and do it. I think the best moment in this Cubs season so far was um, that game against L.A. I think it was the first game that they had a walk-off. Um, where Actually, it was the second game where Duffy hit that game-tying base hit in the ninth inning. And what Ross did was he took... So there's a think about the situation. So there's a runner on, I believe, in scoring position, right? And Ian Happ is in the on deck circle in the pitcher spot. But Ian Happ's injured. But yet during that day, David Ross hasn't disclosed how injured Ian Happ is. Is he able to play? If is he not? So if anything, he's a card. He's a you're playing poker here. He is a He's a card in the deck that you can basically play him however you want, right? David Ross bluffed Dave Roberts on the other side. And basically said, okay, well, if um, you're not going to pitch to Duffy, I'm going to give you some firepower on deck. Ross wanted the pitcher to pitch to Duffy, who was at the plate, with a runner in scoring position to tie the game. You know, you want a hot guy like Duffy to be pitched to, right? Well, I'm going to put a guy on deck that if you don't pitch Duffy, he you, you better pitch this guy because he's going to he's going to get you. So, with that bluff that David Ross had, Dave Roberts told his pitcher say, "Hey, all right, fine, pitch to Duffy." And guess what happened? Duffy hits a base hit up the middle, ties the game. Cuz Ross knows that his guy at the plate can just as well get it done. As long as he gets, as long as he is pitched to. If you're, you got an open base at first, and a runner on second. That is how you coach. That's how you use your lineup to your abilities. Ross knew that he wasn't gonna put Ian Happ up to bat. He knew that. It was a bluff. 
I think that was the best coaching decision Ross has made this season, if any. The best coaching decision he's made as a as manager of the Chicago Cubs was that moment right there against a World Series winning coach. Arguably, though, Dave Roberts isn't that great at utilizing his bullpen, but how how can he be perfect with that, right? Like, it's so hard to utilize your bullpen in the right times because you don't know what guy is going to perform on any given day. So that was the best moment. And let's let's talk about the have-nots, though. Let's talk about the coaches that have bad moments. Talking to you, Tony LaRussa, I have glorified your name so far this season, but this is the point where we hit a roadblock and I say, okay, here's some red flags. So Tony LaRussa, yes, he's a great coach. He's a he's a coach that has won World Series, and, um, and in the time that he did coach when he was with the St. Louis Cardinals, it was a different era of baseball when Albert Pujols was the MVP, and now he just, of course, got released from the Los Angeles uh, Angels. But Dave Robert, or not Dave Roberts, uh, Tony La Russa, coach of the White Sox, had a very terrible moment, I think, this past week, and a very big red flag, and... When you're a coach of a team, you got to know the rules. You got to know all the rules. You got to know the rules to the point where if you see something that is not the right call on the field, you go up there and you yell at that umpire and say, "Hey, this is not the rule. This is this is why you're being ignorant." Right? When I talk about ignorance, I'm talking about Tony Larusa. Larusa was ignorant to the extra inning rule where, where nowadays to speed up the game. And I kind of like this rule. I like this rule. Some people say it's ruining the game of baseball. I say it actually makes it kind of interesting. It adds an element to the game that doesn't tamper with the game at all, right? It's supposed to be a nine-inning game. And if you're tied after that, go to sudden death. What's in sudden death? Maybe just a little extra element. And that extra element is the runner on second. I have not, not really talked about that rule much. I mentioned it. Um, I like it. I, I think it's fun. I mean, you're basically putting up a lot of pressure on the pitcher that's on the mound to pitch strikes to, you know, maybe even potentially, let's say it's the bottom half of the inning and it's a tie game. Maybe you want to walk that first person, right? It's that extra element of stra- strategizing in the game. So Tony Larusa is not that guy right now. He is the old era coach, not the new era coach. Right now, the new era is stack cast, exit velocity, launch angles, um, you know, different pitching mix types, you know, just new elements of the game. Replay is a great example, too. Tony Russo didn't even coach during the replay era. So how is how is this guy going to know when to call a replay? If he can see... You know, whether or not he could challenge. Of course, he's got some people in his dugout who can help assist him. But what happened this past week was just unacceptable. So the ruling is is that whoever is the last out in the previous inning in extra innings starts on second base. And in Tony LaRusso's case, um, the pitcher was the last batted out, or at least the pitcher's position. Um, didn't realize, and this was in a National League game in a National League ballpark, so he's got to know it because he's also coached in the National League where there's no designated hitter, so he's got to know how to how to do this. This is the one thing Tony LaRusso needs to know in this position, and he didn't know it. Starts the runner on second base as the pitcher. Didn't realize that the ruling does state if it's the pitcher that batted out last, then you can actually do the guy before the pitcher because... 
they don't want pitchers to overextend themselves. It makes a lot of sense, right? You don't want pitchers to be base runners. It's added risk for injury and everything. But Tony Larissa didn't do that. He put his pitcher on second base as a runner. I don't know. There's there's also an element of common sense in there. Like, why would you want to put in your pitcher? Like, if you're going to switch off your pitcher next inning, why don't you just put a pinch runner on? Someone who's fast. Like someone like Billy Hamilton, right? Or Larry Garcia. Or someone who's fast, right? If anything, that's an opportunity to put a guy on second that's fast, but rather that you, you know, have to put the guy before the pitcher as that runner on second base in extra innings. Telerusa, I just think he's outdated at this point. Um, and then if anything, I, at this point, I feel like he's a downgrade from Rick Renteria, the previous White Sox coach. It's disappointing to see that someone can make such a silly mistake, defying common sense, defying the rules of baseball, and it's concerning because what if what if that happens in the playoffs, like in the World Series, and you're at an away ballpark in the National League, and you don't know how to coach it? It's concerning. And what also bothers me most is who was in that dugout with Tony Larusa when he made that decision? Who? Like like, no one backed him up, and that's also concerning. Is no one backed him up? But. Tony Larissa is very lucky to have a team that has a plus 53 run differential. The best in the league. And they're on a three-game winning streak. They just swept Kansas City, who spent some time in first place in the AL Central. Probably the only time they'll ever spend in first place this season. Now the White Sox are in first place in front of Cleveland, who will be playing the Cubs over the next two games. White Sox fans, you better become Cubs fans for the next two days because you... the Cubs need these wins against Cleveland just as much as you need Cleveland to lose White Sox fans. So, with that being said, let's go over the standings. Um, let's talk about the National League first. Let's talk about the Central. As I mentioned, the St. Louis Cardinals are 21 and 14, first place. Milwaukee Brewers are 19 and 16. The Cubs at 17 and 17. Cincinnati Reds. 15 and 16, and Pittsburgh Pirates at 14 and 19. This is honestly where I see these standings at the end of the season. I see Milwaukee being second place, and I see St. Louis being first place. And the Cubs, at this pace, they're a third place team, rightfully so. And the last season in the court with a bunch of core guys, it, 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 this is not where you want to see at this part of the season. So hopefully the Cubs can shape up in their in, their first interleague matchup this season. Like I've mentioned, it's right at the beginning of the season. Any team can catch fire at any point. And, you know, it's all about experiencing it. Also considering that this is the first 162-game season in two years. So keep that in mind. Let's go to the National League East. The New York Mets, 16-13. and 13. First in the East. Second in the East is the Philadelphia Phillies at 18 and 17. The Atlanta Braves are 17 and 17. Um, now you got the Miami Marlins at 15 and 18, and the Washington Nationals at 13 and 17. Let's look at the West. San Francisco at 20 and 14. San Diego at 19 and 16. The Los Angeles Dodgers at 18 and 17. Arizona Diamondbacks at 15 and 19, and the Colorado Rockies at 12 and 22. Boston 
is first place in the American League East with a 22 and 13 record. The New York Yankees are 18 and 16. Tampa Bay Rays at 19 and 17. Toronto Blue Jays at 17 and 16. The Baltimore Orioles at 15 and 19. Let's go to the AL Central with the Chicago White Sox being at 19 and 13. Cleveland Indians at 18 and 14. Kansas City Royals at 16 and 17. The Minnesota Twins at 12 and 20. And the Detroit Tigers at 10 and 24. Oakland Athletics, first place in the West at 21 and 15. The Houston Cheaters at 18 and 16. Seattle Mariners at 18 and 17. The Texas Rangers at 18 and 18. And the Los Angeles Angels are 15 and 18. So, that is that on baseball. Uh, This past week, I was in Florida, vacationing up with the family, uh, enjoying the nice hot weather, and uh, my brother, my twin brother Cole and I, and my father, David, you know, if you know me, you know, gotta know David. (laughs) We drove up two hours to Tampa Bay from Naples, Uh, got the pleasure to see a Tampa Bay Rays game at Tropicana Field. Wanted to go there because I didn't know when this stadium was going to be knocked down. But it's a dome stadium. The first dome stadium I've ever been to. Playing baseball, at least. Um, And I liked it. I like like the dome stadium environment. Um, It's comfortable. You know, you're not going to cancel games. And it's just fun. It's just a different experience. But it just reminds me that baseball is a game meant to be played outside. And why should baseball be played outside? Well... You know, you got high fly balls. Balls shouldn't be, you know, interrupted by catwalks that are at the ceiling. And just the beautiful nature of it being played outside, you know, despite the rain. You know, rain happens, right? You know, that's nature. Baseball is a natural sport. So let nature be a part of baseball, right? You know, let the rain come. Let the snow come. You know, cancellations happen, but I don't think baseball games should be played inside. I liked Tropicana Field. I think it's a fun place to be. I can tell why they don't want to knock it down just yet, considering, you know, its longevity and its ability to be in a good spot in Tampa Bay, considering that um, it's actually in St. Petersburg on a sort of peninsula. You got to have it in a dome, right? So... That's why I can't really imagine them knocking down Tropicana Field in the next five years. Um, unless they move, you know, the, the Rays move to a different city. Or they move stadiums to a different part of Tampa Bay. Um, so other options in that regard. But it was fun. Shout out to, to the Rays. They they played the Houston Astros. And I was able to um, yell at the Houston Astros. Um, <laughs> what I did was... My and I was in a good spot to do it. I was like right up in the first row in the upper deck, and uh, I used my powerful voice and I yelled at Jose Altuve, Carlos Correa, Yuli Gurriel, and um, Alex Bregman. Even though I am a fan of Alex Bregman, I am not a fan of what he was a part of in the 2017 asterisk year that they won the World Series, um, cheating by. Um, reading signs, reading, you know, you don't do that. You're not allowed to do that. And uh, I, what I did was I yelled at all those players saying right before the pitch happened, I was like, hey, Altuve, watch out for the changeup. Or I'd be like to Bregman, hey, Bregman, just thought you'd like to know a curveball is coming. And I kid you not, 
I was 90% accurate with all my pitch calls. And no one got hit off my calls. No one did. But um, I just thought it was funny. Also, since you're in a dome, the, the sound kind of like bounces around. So maybe they probably didn't hear me, but I'd like to think that they did. So, um, hey, Yuli, just thought you would like to know a fastball is coming. It's <laughs> That's literally what I did. And um, there's people around. There's Astros fans sitting in front of me and they're not taking my crap any any way any shape or form they were not happy with all the booze going around but uh also shout out to the new york yankee fans the only time i'm gonna give them a shout out is when they uh absolutely berated the astros while they were there um in new york after that series the race um so that was just fun to see all right, well, that's baseball for you. That's about 30 minutes worth of baseball. So a good start to the show. Now, it is time to get a little unorthodox here. Usually, I would just go to the next uh, segment, but now I- I'm just going I- to... I'm just going to just stay in the segment and talk about some Olympics because that is what I started back in 2016. Let's take a, let's take a little stroll down memory lane here and talk about what I first talked about on the first ever episode of Monday Mass Sports Talk, and that was the Summer Olympics. I'll still talk about Winter Olympics since it's in that same category, um, but it's nice to kind of, like I've just mentioned, take that take down that, that little drive down memory lane and uh, talk about what I first talked about. And I remember... The first time I was in front of a microphone talking alone, doing a solo segment, was on WHGM FM 88.3 in Palatine, Illinois, Harper College Radio, and I was so nervous. I remember just stepping in front of the mic and being like, wow, I can't believe I'm doing this right now. I can't believe I'm on an FM radio station just talking what I what I, I think is best in terms of sports radio, and, you know... it. It just feels nostalgic, actually, in this moment right here for me in front of the microphone. I know I'm not in a radio studio. I'm just simply sitting in my basement uh, just doing a podcast. But it's just like I remember the moment when I first started talking about the Olympics and being, you know, all like amped up about it because there's so much to talk about at the time. You know, that's why I love the Olympics being my first topic is that there's so much to talk about in it. You got a lot. You know, you got individual athletes you could talk about and, um, you know, lean on, like Usain Bolt and Michael Phelps. And, you know, you might not see Phelps, I I don't think, in this 2021 Olympics, but you could have saw him last year in the 2020 Olympics if the pandemic never hit. Um, But this year it's going to be a bit more complicated. Um, We'll get into that shortly. Um, But I, I just remember that great moment when I just stepped in front of the microphone and I was like, Welcome to Mighty Mass Sports Talk, and, you know, to the first ever edition of it. Let's get into it, and upcoming now is the Olympics, and I'm going to talk about it. So, um, that's what I was like. That's literally what it was like. I don't have a full recording of the first episode, and that's something that I uh, really, really, really um, regret. Um, But, uh, yeah, it happens. Uh, So, this summer... Starting on July 23rd, ending on August 8th, will be that of the Tokyo Summer Olympics. No fans 
um, I don't think are going to be in attendance. So, with that being said, let's talk about what actually happened this past week and, and in regards to the Olympics. DK Metcalf, wide receiver for the Seattle Seahawks and um, most notable this past season, literally ran 90 yards, gaining... You know, gaining ground on 10 yards on a very fast Buda Baker of the Arizona Cardinals, intercepting a pass in the red zone about the five-yard line. And DK Metcalf sprints down the field, a wide receiver sprinting at about, I don't know, I don't know like 20 to 25 miles an hour in like heavy football pads, just sprinting and tackling Buda Baker within the 10-yard line, you know, avoiding a pick six. So he takes those skills of just speed and he utilizes it. Why not, right? You know, gain some publicity off of it because you're an athlete. You deserve it. You deserve to try out different things. And I think that's where sports are heading to nowadays. I think that's also the emulation of the Olympics is that there's so many sports that you could do and, you know, perform in. You know, there's some athletes in baseball and other sports that – you know, they've competed in the Olympics, right? So I think that's remarkable. Um, so DK Metcalf ran a 10.36 100 meter against other people who are running to qualify for the Olympics. The best time in that race was a 10.12 and the top three qualified. So DK Metcalf didn't qualify. However, you have a 230-pound, foot seven football wide receiver running a 100 meter sprint in 10.36 seconds not even one of the fastest high school runners can go that fast he's going into a sport that's really not his that he has not practiced an entire life you know it running sounds simple right running sounds like oh i'm gonna take a little run down down take a little stroll down the park right like you all you gotta do is use your feet right simple but you, there's certain, I've ran track before. I actually ran cross country back in high school. And what I learned most about it is there's so much more than just running. You have to condition your body, your legs, your arm movements, your breathing, everything to run a specific distance. DK Metcalf does that in the NFL, but he doesn't do that in track. You know, let's say if DK Metcalf learned how to breathe properly or learned how to control his strides properly and um stay balanced in those strides balance matters because you're you're literally ex- hyper extending your your quads to go as fast as possible in the longest stride physically possible to your abilities dk metcalf had to do that against guys who are potentially able to make the olympics and he did that and that's super impressive those Olympic runners, they, they've been training their whole lives for this. DK Metcalf only trains for football. Yes, he does does some sprints sometimes, but not to the level of these Olympic athletes. And yet, DK Metcalf only had a differential with the first place runners by a point .24, right? That's, that's incredible. And even DK Metcalf, the first 40 to 60 meters... Um, was in the race. If it was a 40-meter dash, DK probably could have gotten third place just because, you know, that's what he does in the NFL is he runs 40s all the time. Not 100s, 40s. So congrats to DK on that. That's cool. That's something Olympic-styled. So 
Um, right now, the Olympic trials are going on. Hoping to see uh, some notables also in golf. Be talking about golf very soon. Um, might as well get into golf um, while well, I'm in the segment right here. Um, this is a very long segment. We've gone around 40 minutes so far. Let's keep it going. Um, so let's talk about my favorite Olympics events because I remember in the first two in the first episode of Money Mass Borsak as we are now in episode 200 has my has my opinions changed on the sport because I remember you know my favorite sport in the summer Olympics back in 2016 or yeah 2016 essentially um I would say safely it was track um but this is uh, we got some new events too this season. And last time I talked about the Olympics, they didn't have baseball or softball. Now they do, so that's going to be quite um, amazing. They're still talk. They're still calling these Olympics Tokyo twenty twenty. It's not twenty twenty. Just call it twenty twenty one. Then put an asterisk on it, or put an asterisk after the twenty twenty. Don't whatever. Um. Let's talk about these events. Archery, three versus three on three basketball. That that's new. That's very new. I I'm quite shocked that there's three on three basketball. Um they have regular basketball as well. Of course we should all know. Um Then you got beach volleyball, boxing. I'm really excited to see um who is going to compete in boxing considering what has happened this past weekend. I'll get into boxing when I'm in the combat sports section at the end of today's show. So looking forward to that. Canoe slalom. I have never heard of canoe slalom before. Canoe sprint. Cycling BMX freestyle. Cycling BMX racing. Mountain biking. Cycling road. Cycling on track. That's a lot of cycling right there. Um, Equestrian. I totally forgot that these sports exist in Summer Olympics. Uh, soccer, golf, handball. Handball is a sport. That that's a. If no one knows about handball, look it up. Look at like highlights of people playing handball. It's actually quite remarkable. Field hockey, judo. Really excited about judo. Karate, wrestling. They have wrestling. So that's gonna be something I always look forward to. Is Olympic wrestling, marathon swimming. Gosh, I cannot imagine how hard marathon swimming is. I, I swam in the uh, Gulf of Mexico. By the way, it's not an ocean. The, the Gulf of Mexico is not an ocean. According to my mom, who has strictly told my dad, who consistently calls it an ocean, to not call the Gulf of Mexico an ocean, it is a gulf. It is a gulf of the Mexico. Do not call the Gulf of Mexico an ocean. Okay? It's just a gulf. It's a big gulf, but it's not an ocean. Had to get that out of my system. My mom would be very proud of me for saying that on today's broadcast. Um, so marathon swimming, and I just realized how hard it is. You know, you got to swim through waves. You got to just do all these things. It's quite remarkable, to be quite honest with you. I, I cannot imagine doing that. Um, let's go. You got table tennis, weightlifting, volleyball, triathlon, trampoline gymnastics. What? Trampoline gymnastics? Surfing, I you know this is a summer Olympics. I'm really looking forward to skateboarding. They got skateboarding. Like this is the epitome of opportunity 
this year's Olympics. You know, you got some new sports. You got even three-on-three basketball. You got baseball and softball back. So that's what I'm really excited about this upcoming Olympics is that you got opportunity. So that is very interesting. Where's the torch right now? Um, I wonder where the uh, Olympic torch is. Where, let's, let's make a Google search. I'm always interested in figuring out where the torch is. It's kind of like, um, it, it's kind of like saying, where is Waldo? So where is the Olympic torch right now? All right, let's, let's figure this out. Um, Wow, so after the postponement of the Olympics last year, um, according to a Google search I just made, the torch is now in Fukushima for at least a month. So um, that ended in March. So the countries that the torch has visited is Greece and Japan. Um... I don't know, where, where's this route? So I'm trying to figure out where this route is and where where um it's going to be. So from, it was in Fukushima from the 25th to the 27th of March. Now, today, as we speak, we are the 9th and 10th of May. It's in Sega right now. It's in Sega, Japan. So um, Saga, Sega, I don't know. I kind of figured out why they call the company Saga, the video game company Saga Sega. Well, gosh. God help me for trying to pronounce that best as possible. Oh, man. Olympics. What would I do without you? So I just mentioned a, sh- just a slew of sports in the Olympics. So already in this show, I've mentioned like 12 different sports that I've talked about in the past five years of Monday Mass Sports Talk. So... A lot has already happened on today's show. We're already nearly an hour into it. Really happy to have you with me for it. So next segment, I'm going to do a combined segment with basketball and hockey playoff pushes. And then maybe another sport added to that. And then the next segment after that, I'll get into NFL draft. Talk about that. And to end the show, I'll be talking about UFC, combat sports, boxing, talk about this past weekend with Canel Alvarez and then potentially what's happening with uh, Logan Paul, not Jake Paul, Logan Paul fighting Mayweather. Um, I, I don't know how that conversation is going to pan out, but regardless, we're going to have a good one for the rest of the show. It's been a long one so far and expect even much more coming up here on the 200th episode of Monday Madness Sports Talk. So happy to have you with me here on March, not March, what am I doing? May 10th, 2021. Be back in just a bit. Stay tuned. Welcome in to Monday Madness Sports Talk. Your one-stop shop for all things Chicago sports and beyond. Right here on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Welcome back to the Milestone 
episode that is 200 of Monday Madness Sports Talk here on May 10th, 2021. This is Laid Back Luke and Rivero with XOXO featuring Ina. So let's do it here for NBA basketball. And NHL hockey, the playoff pushes respectively, and in hockey, specifically, the playoffs, I believe, are set with the exception of what's happening in the NHL North Division with teams catching up. So therefore, I will start with the NBA because the NBA still has some things to be decided, considering some teams have four games left, some teams have five games left, etc. So not all teams have clinched a spot. But the NBA has announced recently, at least after episode 199 of Monday Madness Sports Talk, that uh, they're going to be doing a play-in tournament and that the top 10 teams will be going beyond 72 games. And I think it's between the 6th seed or the 7th seed, so the the bottom four teams will be playing in a play-in tournament for the final 8th spot. Uh, I don't like it. LeBron James obviously doesn't like it because his team is now in a play on, play in tournament position. But, you know, it makes things a little bit more interesting. But it's also, I, I feel like this play in tournament is also another excuse to say, hey, we're going to make some more money off of just games that mean more than regular season games and just, you know, do a single elimination tournament. Which What, what team is better, right? And honestly, to me... That's what it seems like. It just seems like a publicity stunt. That's all it is. And it's just another way of making the NBA a little bit more interesting when it's just already interesting, right? Like, have a regular playoffs. Have the teams that throughout the season up until the point a couple weeks ago where they announced it that are fighting for an eighth seed fight for that eighth seed to make the playoffs. You know what if that team that's been fighting for that eighth seed leads to the tenth seed in the in in the play in tournament and all for what they've been fighting for all season with the expectation expectation of being top eight is lost in just one loss, right? And one stupid loss in a play in tournament. I just think that doesn't make sense to me. Like great great example is that of the Lakers. You know, they're in seventh spot. They they they're a they're a playoff team. They're the defending champions. They got Anthony Davis. They got you know, a semi-injured LeBron James with his ankle sprain. I don't think he's going to be the same player ever again. Um, but LeBron James has already cemented his legacy. So it's not like we're saying that LeBron James is now worthless, right? Um, he obviously doesn't want to play in the playing tournament, but he doesn't care about other teams that have to play in the playing tournament because he only cares about his own team, and that's the Lakers. Rightfully so, you know? But don't use that as an excuse to say, oh, I think the play-in tournament is a bad idea or a good idea. He th- Last year, LeBron James was asked about a potential play-in tournament. He thought it was fine. But that was when he was the first seed team in the Western Conference. And the Utah Jazz, with a 15-18 record, has cemented that first seed in the, East- or in the Western Conference, rightfully so. Um, the Phoenix Suns, with the second seed at 48-20, 
Clippers at 45 and 23, and the Nuggets at 44 and 24. Interesting that the Clippers swept the Lakers in their season series three times, um, which is pretty impressive against the defending NBA champions. Number five seed is the Mavericks at 40 and 28. Six seed, 39 and 29, is the Trailblazers at 38 and 30, is the Lakers. And the Warriors at 8 seed, 35 and 33. 34 and 33 are the Grizzlies at 9. And that 10th spot is the San Antonio Spurs at 32 and 35. But right behind them is the New Orleans Pelicans at 31 and 37. And at 12th seed is the Sacramento Kings. I think that there's going to be a fight between the Pelicans and Spurs for that 10th seed for that playing tournament spot. Makes it interesting for the 11th seed teams. And I'll get to that 11th seed team in the Eastern Conference very soon. Um, is that th- this play-in tournament, you know, really gives opportunities for these teams that didn't expect to make the playoffs to at least go beyond Game 72. And, yeah, it's nice. It's cute. But I don't think it's worth it. I mean, just do the playoffs. Do the- just jump right into the playoffs. That's what the NBA fans want. Just give it to them. But a play, but you know, it just gives the teams that are beyond that are ninth and tenth seed an excuse to say, "Hey, okay, we're good enough. We're good enough." So that's where I bring the Eastern Conference into discussion because the Eastern Conference, I think, is a little bit more interesting when we talk about the race for that play-in tournament spot. Because at the eleventh seed is our very own Chicago Bulls who now is on a three-game winning streak, catching fire after losing a lot of games. You know, the Bulls are 5-5 five and five in their last 10. And since the uh, trade deadline where they picked up um, Tease and Vukovic, um, you know, they were not they were building chemistry at the time, and they, they needed time to kind of come together and become a better team. But next year... The same guys are coming back. Next year, they're going to be dangerous. Zach Levine missed 10 games. I'm not mad about that. I think his health is more important than this season as is because you want Zach Levine for next year. You want to make sure he's healthy and ready. But now you can see why this Bulls team is highly toted. They might not seem like an 11C team, but they are a good team. This Bulls team behind Billy Donovan has a chance to even make the playoffs right now. And then right behind the Bulls are at that 12th seed is the Raptors at 27 and 41, whereas the Bulls are 29 and 39. You can you can you can really take the Raptors out of the conversation. And there's also some other talk when you take the draft into consideration is that the Bulls should you know since the playoff hopes are kind of dead at this point that the Bulls should try to just you know not win. And I think that's stupid. Because, you know, it's not like the Bulls have to prove anything yet this season. But they still can win because they're not going to It's either 11th seed or bust. Or 11th seed or 10th seed at this point of the season. Um, and at the 10th seed is the Indiana Pacers at 31 and 36. The Bulls have a chance to catch up to them. The Pacers have one more game to play. But that's also one more game to lose. Which means that the Bulls would be two games behind with four games left in the season. So if the Bulls keep winning, if the Bulls win all four, they need the Pacers to just lose two. That's it. And they're in the play-in tournament. So the Bulls have a slight chance. They have a little bit of a chance. The Bulls can end the season at 33-39 and and still 
have a good chance. With 72 games played this season, this, you know, let's look at the rest of the rest of the season for this Bulls team. Bulls beat the Hornets and the 76ers and the Celtics and the Pistons. Well, they, the, the Bulls lost to the 76ers. My apologies. So the Bulls beat the Hornets, Celtics, and most recently yesterday, the Pistons. Now, tomorrow, the Bulls have the Nets. Then they have the Raptors. Then they have the Nets again. And then they have the Bucks. So it's a tough rest of the season for this Bulls team. However, they are in a position that, you know, they could really use this momentum to their advantage and possibly even end this season winning five or six out of the last seven. I would consider that an accomplishment, even if the Bulls don't make the play-in tournament. I I think this is going to be a very interesting end to the season because this Bull, I mean, it makes sense because let's say if this was uh, an 81-game season and the Bulls had 12 games left and they're three games behind a playoff spot, well, if they're catching fire at the end of the season, why not give them a chance in the play-in tournament, right? Especially if they are beating teams like the Celtics and the Hornets and the Pistons, right? Like, at least give them a chance. Well, the Pistons suck. They're 20 and 49, but uh, um, the Bulls are... The Bulls... I don't say the Bulls suck. They don't suck. They, they, I don't think the Bulls suck at all. They have a team that can win against any team. But now the Bulls have to, with the three out of the last four games, they're playing teams that are in the top three of the Eastern Conference. And then they have to rely on the Pacers or Wizards to lose. Um, The Charlotte Hornets are in a position to make the play-in tournament. Celtics as well. And the Hawks. Knicks, Heat, Bucks, Nets, and 76ers are all in position. To exact stats, the 76ers are 47 and 21, Nets 44 and 24, the Bucks at 43 and 24, the Knicks at 38 and 30, Hawks at 37 and 31, Heat at 37 and 31, Celtics at 35 and 33, Hornets at 33 and 35, Wizards at 32 and 36, Pacers at 31 and 20 and 36, and the Bulls at 29 and 39. So why not? Why not have faith with this Bulls team? Like, come on. Why not? Why not? Um, so, that being said, that is the NBA standings up until this point and the position that the Bulls are in. They could technically make the play-in tournament, but don't take this as a, as a way to say, oh, wow, we're placing high expectations for the Bulls to make the play-in tournament. The Bulls didn't even expect to make the playoffs. Just like last year, the Blackhawks didn't expect to make the playoffs in the uh, play-in rounds. And they ended up actually beating the Edmonton Oilers and making the NHL playoffs last year. Well, this year, it's different for the Blackhawks. And it's different for the Bulls. So, let's get into that. Let's get into the NHL standings. As now... We we have everything kind of figured out. Every You know, every single division... Um, is kind of figured out with the exception of the North Division in Canada. Let's look at that division first because uh, it's not fully set in stone because you got two teams that are fighting for a playoff position with the Montreal Canadiens 
and the Calgary Flames, also the Canucks, who have only played 49 games out of the total 56. Um, and the Canucks have 43 points. So the Montreal Canadiens are most likely going to make the playoffs because they have 57 win- uh, fifty-seven points. But then you got the, the, the Flames at 52 games played compared to the 54 games played that the Canadiens have played. The Senators at 55 games played. They only have 49 points, so the Senators are just about out. But the Canucks, they only have 49 games played. And they got seven games left. That's a potential 14 points for the Canucks. That's if the Canadians lose their last two games. So the Canucks are probably not going to make the playoffs. Kind of safe to say that. And then... The Calgary Flames is the most ideal option. You know, they got four games left with a potential eight. So if the Canadians, in their last two games, get a win or a draw going to overtime, they automatically win the playoffs. So it's safe to say that the Canadians are going to make the playoffs in the NHL North Division. So this is the North Division. It's going to be the Maple Leafs, Oilers, Jets, and Canadians with potentially the Flames, but most likely not. The West Division has been solidified. The Golden Knights, Avalanche, Wilds, and Blues. The East Division, got the Penguins, Capitals, Bruins, and Islanders. I like that a lot. And then the Central Division, the Hurricanes are the Central Division champions. And the Carolina Panthers, not the Carolina Panthers, uh, that's a football team. The uh, Florida Panthers 77 points, the Tampa Bay Lightning at 75 points, and the Predators at 62 points. So we already know the the matchups in the Central Division. And I think they, they, those are the best matchups in the entire league because you got the Hurricanes and Predators. They've been fighting close all year, even though the differential in points is a little bit off, but that's okay. Um, the Blackhawks have one more game left against the Stars. They beat the Stars yesterday, so that was fun to watch. Um, and then they got another one at home, I believe, tomorrow, and that's it for the Blackhawks. So I'll get into the Blackhawks very soon. But uh, in terms of the first matchups in the playoffs in the Central Division, you got an all-Florida matchup in the first round between the Panthers and the Lightning. And if the Panthers can win this, you know, for the first time in a long time, the Panthers can win a division or um, a Western Conference quarterfinal series against the defending champions in the Lightning. That'll be quite remarkable. So I'm rooting for the Panthers in that series against the Lightning, but that's going to be fun to watch. Um, you know, there's a different com- uh, competitive level when you reach the playoffs. And that's, in hockey, it's it's just a different vibe. It's a different atmosphere. And you're also not gonna, now going to have fans in the stands. So that's something to look forward to as well. You're going to have in the East Division, probably a matchup between the Penguins and Islanders. That or the Bruins, the Capitals... But uh, I would look forward to a potential Western Conference or Eastern Conference. What, what, what do you want to call it? Um, an Eastern uh, Conference. I, I, I'm so confused at what I'm saying right now. The Eastern Conference semifinal match between the Penguins and Capitals. That would be fun because that's something we've seen a lot. And that's a very competitive matchup right there. The West Division, the Golden Knights should be playing the Blues. Um, that's it. The Avalanche does does not catch up to the Golden Knights um, for the Western Division crown. Um, 
So let's see if that is a possibility. So the potential matchup will be the Golden Knights and Blues. Avalanche and Wild will be your next potential matchup um, in that. So let's look at the North Division. Um, Again, Maple Leafs should be playing the Canadians and Oilers should be playing the Jets. It just depends on who's better um, with the two and three seeds to get home ice advantage. Um, So let's go back to the Central Division and talk about the Blackhawks this season. Was kind of... It was, I would say this Blackhawks season was the season of the rookies. You know, you got, I think, nine different rookies got their first career goals at the Blackhawks this season, and that's a record of some sorts. And um, it's remarkable because the Blackhawks, you know, it goes to show that they do have a bright future, even beyond the Jonathan Tays, Patrick Kane era. You know, you only got so many years with those guys left, and uh, there's only three players left now with the Andrew Shaw retirement that is on the Blackhawks from the 2015 Stanley Cup. So I think next season, I don't know if you'd want to call it a rebuild season or whatever, but um, definitely a season that you want to like see your rookies shine and develop your rookies this season with the Blackhawks. Um, you're gonna have a young, you're gonna have a very young team next year for this Blackhawks team. So I'm not setting high expectations. But I would like to see the Blackhawks have a good draft this season so that, you know, they add to that rookie talent. You know, uh, Kevin Lankinen, you know, is going to be your starting uh, goaltender. Um, maybe Colin Delia as well. I don't. I, I'm, I have mixed reactions about Malcolm Subban. He had his moments this season. Um, but at this point, you got to start thinking about the future for the Blackhawks, and it's going to be a lot of young talents coming in. So that's something to look forward to with this Blackhawks team. You gotta like the young talent when it comes to hockey, especially since it's, we're getting into a new era of competition in the NHL, and it's important to keep up with that. And this Blackhawks organization is confident with the amount of young players that they have in their organization. I really think that they could develop them well enough, and I think Jeremy Collinson could be that right coach. He could be, since he's young as well, since he has that kind of like new era mindset of playing uh, of hockey and creating new types of plays, new types of formations, and um. Next season could be a sandbox season for the Blackhawks. Who knows? Um, but it's good this season. The Blackhawks did what they did. They didn't have to make the playoffs. I didn't expect them to make the playoffs. Uh, but they they do definitely have some room to improve with their young talents, and that's something to look forward to for next season. Okay, so that is that for NBA and NHL. So now, since we're in the 200th episode of Money Man Sports Talk, Talk about other sports that I've talked about here. Let's get into some esports. So esports is just a whole different mantra, a whole different, I would say, vibe of sports talk because it's a different competition level. Um, I think esports have has flourished throughout this pandemic, considering people being at home playing video games and competing um, remotely. I think that's what esports have has flourished in. You know, I was watching Rocket League the other day on on Twitch. I don't know if anyone plays Rocket League. It's both, it's on PC. It's also on Xbox and PlayStation. So if you get it, let me know. Play me. Anyways, um, I love that game. I think it's a perfect esports game um, in terms of competition because it's just simple. You got to get the ball on the goal. That's all you got to do. Um, I was watching a collegiate game. Between Texas, I believe, and uh, Cal, California, um, University of California, and 
what's what's amazing about that is they don't even have to travel to each other. All they got to do is go to their esports gaming lounge wherever they it is on campus. For any campus that does esports, DePaul in particular, they do they also do Rocket League. Um, they you can play against any school from around the world just by sitting in your esports gaming lounge. I think that's remarkable. I think the fact that you could do that and not have to spend money on traveling or have to worry about traveling and going out and doing different things, especially during this pandemic, esports is the way to go. It makes a lot of sense. You got to love esports. You got to love the fact that, you know, it exists in a time like this and in a competition level. So here, I'm going to give you my top five esports games personally. Um, If anyone knows me, I'm very good. I'm very big on sports games, but then I'm also big on first-person shooter games. I love Call of Duty uh, and, and and stuff like that. So um, I'm gonna keep those games in the equation. So uh, no particular order. My favorite esports games, Rocket League. It's gotta be. It might be even my number one. I love Rocket League. It's a, it's such a fun game. Look up gameplay for Rocket League. Professionals do it on a different level. I can't do aerial goals or anything like that. I'm not that great, but I'm really good at playing goalie, making aerial saves in goalie, and also fast break goals I'm really good at in one-on-one. So um, that is my number one, I would say. My number two would probably be, um, I mean, if I'm doing no particular order, it's hard to compare games when they're just different. Uh, Call of Duty Warzone is so much fun. Um, Just the way you can play with your friends you know, consistently play even if you lose. Play against people who are at the same skill level as you so that you get the same kind of experience as top players do. Um, and when you play top players, it feels like you're playing an unfair advantage and, like, that's not fun. So, like, the 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 matchmaking in the game is sometimes iffy, but it's not, it's not supposed to be perfect. Whenever someone argues about matchmaking in Call of Duty or any first-person shooter game that's online... Just just, just calm down because it's not supposed to be perfect. It's about who you're being matched up with at the time that they're also trying to search for a game, right? Like, it. to me, it doesn't make sense when you're arguing that. So um, that being said, um, number two is gotta be Call of Duty Warzone, Call of Duty Multiplayer. I love, my favorite multiplayer mode is Domination. Love Domination, and Team Deathmatch is also great, too. Search and Destroy. Um, that's that's just my kind of vibe. All right, I got three more. Let's do, like, my three honorable mentions. I just got uh, the show, and uh, MLB, Major League Baseball, the show. It has always been a uh, Sony game, so Sony, of course, owns PlayStation, and PlayStation is basically your hub for baseball for the past decade and um i remember on xbox the previous main baseball game was mlb 2k and it stopped at 2k 13 when i had my xbox 360 so i haven't had or owned an mlb game until now in 2021 for eight years so now having that i really love playing the game i love the home run derby mode what i've been doing is I, I, I'm I taking the top eight teams, the top eight home run hitting teams in the league right now. The Cubs are one of them. And I'm doing like a four-person home run derby, the top four home run hitters from each of those teams. And they're going to be... I, I play with all of them. 
You got two minutes to hit as many home runs as you can. If you hit a home run over 440 feet twice, you get 30 seconds of bonus time. Um, And then whoever wins in that tournament gets to play in my my eight-person tournament home run derby. So I already got, like, from the Cubs, Chris Bryant won my... uh, won that Jose Abreu from the White Sox uh won and then who else I got um Lau from the uh Rays won who who won from Gary Sanchez out of everyone from the New York Yankees won I can't believe I won with Gary Sanchez against Aaron Judge for the Yankees so I got Gary Sanchez so this is that the gameplay for MLB to uh MLB the show is fun um I really enjoy that and just that yeah it's just all around mlb the show is a fun game also the career mode is great it's it's um engaging and you make decisions for yourself as a player and uh it's just fun i like that i like that a lot um so mlb the show is my number three oof my number four i'm trying to think of the games that i own i'm gonna say nhl and fifa so nhl and fifa fifa i love playing fifa online I get very emotional when I play people online in FIFA because, you know, um, it just gets too competitive sometimes. And sometimes I think some players are unfair and I don't like it. So FIFA is a game I love playing, especially online against other people. It just gets so competitive. You got to love the competitive nature of that. And NHL 21, hockey video games, love hockey video games. Um, if I were to play play another game that is not on that is not sports related, I would say Grand Theft Auto is pretty fun. Um, I, I'm very generic in my gaming when it comes to esports, but uh, Rocket League is my number one because it's just it's mainstream enough to be like, okay, this has got to be everyone's esport game, right? You know, you got five minutes in the ring in Rocket League, do the best you can, score as many goals as you can, but. Um, I'm not much of an esports talker, but I understand that it's a very big market right now. So I'm giving I'm giving that attention. And when I'm talking about all the sports that I've talked about in the 200 episodes that I've done in Money Mad Sports Talk, I have to include esports because it's just that important. So that being said, um, got to be happy with uh, the esports world nowadays. But also just as well happy about Monday Mana Sports Talk being in its 200th episode. I've already talked about like probably 20 sports at this point because I talked about Olympic sports as well. So I've talked about a ton of sports so far in the hour and 20 minutes that we've done here for the 200th episode of Monday Mana Sports Talk. And we're not even close to done. I, If anything, we might only just be halfway through the show. I don't know where the end point of the show is going to be today, but... With the unorthodox nature of episode 200, I know what I'm going to be talking about next. And next up will be the NF- the NFL draft talking about Justin Fields with the Chicago Bears. Bears trading up to 11th picked. Not, obviously, it's old news, but still exciting news that I, I want to talk about. Um, Tavon Jenkins, uh, the O-line guy that the Bears needed. They got... Um, it's a season to look forward to for the Bears that I just didn't couldn't look forward to before the draft started. Um, also, in that segment, I'll be talking about soccer, Premier League. Um, also, La Liga uh, in Spain is unbelievable right now. You got 
four games left or three games left and three teams at the top of the tables within two points of each other. So I'll talk about football, talk about football, soccer. So two types of football and uh, see what all other sports I've talked about along the way. Coming up next here on the 200th edition of Monday Madness Sports Talk. So happy to have you with me for this one. It's been so much fun so far and looking forward to a great rest of the show here on May 10th, 2021. Be back in just a bit. Stay tuned. This is Noah Fessestein, host of Monday Madness Sports Talk, and I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in for this week's episode of MMST. I want to remind you, if you want merchandise, please email me at noah.festenstein at gmail.com. Welcome back to the 200th episode of Monday Madness Sports Talk. This is your host, Noah Festenstein. Here talking the latest in Chicago sports and beyond. And we have reached the footballs. The soccer segment and the football segment. They're both called football. That's why I said footballs. The football segment of the day. <laughs> this has been Clean Bandit and Zara Larson Symphony. The R3 Hab remix. So, let's get it going with some American football to start us off. I'm just going to start calling football, uh, soccer, soccer, because I feel like that's just to the interest of you, the listener, because when I say football in America, you're going to think American football. When I say football, you might think European or South American soccer, you know, like I'm trying not to confuse you. I'm just trying to get the terminologies right and fair, if you know what I mean. What is fair, though, is what the Chicago Bears, the beloved or quote-unquote beloved football team here in Chicago, you know, they had uh, a pretty fair draft this season. And when I mean fair, I mean successful. A lot of teams, I would say, had successful drafts in terms of what they need at this time. But what the Chicago Bears did compared to everyone else in the draft is that they put themselves back on the map. You know, with the signing of Andy Dalton, that wasn't very encouraging for the fan base here in Chicago, nor was it encouraging for NFL writers or analysts that see the Bears as a contender next season, now we could say the Bears are contenders, especially because of what's going on up north in Green Bay with their quarterback situation. I will get to that very soon. And um, the Chicago Bears won the draft in the NFC North. Like, if you want to, like, divide up who wins the draft by a division, you have to say the Chicago Bears won the NFC North by a landslide. So I want to talk about this draft for the Chicago Bears because I want I want to get into their picks, why they were important, and why they were so right at the right time for the Chicago Bears. And I'm going to give them a grade. I'll give them the grade right now. I'm going to give the Bears an A minus, not an A plus, an A minus. I don't like giving my teams a plus. I don't like raising expectations like that. But when you have such low expectations especially for a guy like Ryan Pace and what he has done as the general manager for the Bears this past offseason so far you got to think coming into the draft that the low expectation is going to be there 
But now the expectation is just through the roof. It is insurmountable. It literally probably even saved Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy's job for multiple years. Like, I was convinced by the end of last season that Matt Nagy's job and Ryan Pace's job was at stake. But after this draft, they redeemed themselves. And boy, did they ever. And originally, the Bears were supposed to be slated around, what, 19th or 20th pick in the draft. They traded up. Um, only draft picks. So they traded their first-round draft pick next year and I think a fifth-round draft pick um, from this year and next year to then ultimately trading up to get what they really need. And that is a quarterback. A quarterback that is not only smart, but is athletic, mentally there, able to have NFL-ready mentality come next season. The Bears needed all of those components in a quarterback, a young quarterback that can be ready, that can be there for this Bears team when they need it. And that man is Justin Fields. And compared to all the other quarterbacks in the draft, maybe the exception of Trevor Lawrence, who went number one to Jacksonville, I would say Justin Fields is the next best quarterback in the draft. And remember a few weeks ago when I was talking about the Bears and what their options were after the signing of Dalton, I was like, hmm, this signing of Dalton for a one-year veteran deal kind of shows that the Bears are looking for a young quarterback in the draft. And that's exactly what they did. The Bears were looking for a young quarterback. And they got one. Justin Fields, in his aptitude, mental aptitude test, when I mean mentally there, he knows the game. He knows the system. He knows math. He knows whatever you need to have him know to be ready for the NFL. The average score on that aptitude test in the NFL is like, what, 90 to 100? And Justin Fields shatters that and scores 130, which is even better than Patrick Mahomes. So, if that doesn't say anything, I don't know what does. I'm not trying to... I, 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 well, I'm, of course, glorifying the pick of Justin Fields, but this is this is the right pick. I'm not trying to say that anything is for certain that the Bears are now going to start to win because of this pick, but it all starts with this one pick, and then you go from there, and the Bears can just rise up. Because I, I do I do believe, and I was saying this about Trubisky, it's just Trubisky, the type of guy he is, wasn't right for the Bears organization. That's why the 2017 draft was a bust for the Bears. This year, I feel like it's going to be different. Because now, the same system with the Chicago Bears offensive system and the, the general management, the front office, and the coaching, they now have learned from the mistake they made with Mitch Trubisky. They can utilize those mistakes to their advantage to help teach and develop Justin Fields to be the quarterback they they need him to be. That's why this is exciting. And also, Justin Fields is a much better option than Trubisky. And he's also excited to play for Chicago. That's exciting. And Fields... I mean, I have never been this excited about any Ohio State player being on the Bears, or any Ohio State player for that matter. But you, I gotta tell you, this is this is 
one of the best, if not the best, draft picks in Chicago Bears history. And uh, it's exciting. I, I am very excited to see how Fields does. And I would have said that for any team he played for, because I really do like Justin Fields. And I mentioned his name a few weeks ago. I was like, that whoever gets this guy is doing the right thing. And also another thing is that the Bears picked Justin Fields, Fields at 11th. Guess who was ready at number 14 to pick Justin Fields? The Minnesota Vikings. So the trade up for Justin Fields was a trade well taken. The 11th pick this year feels like the first pick in the NFL draft. I, I've always said with any drafts, like, I don't like being the number one pick. I, I like having the pressure of choosing the right guy for the right system at the right time. So having, like, a pick between 5 and 10 is always good because you, you have some flexibility with your choices, right? You know, you don't have to feel the pressure of picking the number one guy or the number two or three guy. You, you ha- you're you on the board. You have anyone to choose from for your specific need. And the Bears' specific need this year was quarterback and then offensive uh, line, which is what the Bears got in their next two picks, which is where I'm going to go next. So if you want Justin Fields to succeed, you have to have a successful offensive line. And to start off with that, the Bears had a pick at 50. They dropped down again. They trade up again. And trade up well taken for uh, offensive tackle Tavon Jenkins from Oklahoma State. This guy looks like um, he's your everyday, um, you know, nice guy, right? He's got a baby face, but this man is a monster. Look at this dude's highlights and then come back to me. I don't have to say anything else but to look at Tavon Jenkins' highlights from Oklahoma State. This, This dude is a truck. He... It reminds me of The Blind Side, right? The movie The Blind Side, that this guy can literally run through guys and push them out of the way, just like it's nothing. That's what the Bears need. Justin Fields thrives when he doesn't have pressure and when he can escape the pocket. That's exactly what the Bears needed. And then they got another offensive lineman in the fifth round at 151st, Larry Borum from Missouri, another great pick, another guy who can who can run through the offense, and that's what's not run through the defense for that matter. And that's what's nice about the Bears' second and third picks. They got what they needed in the first pick, but then the offensive linemen aren't as much of a need for other teams in the first three rounds, right? So that's where the Bears take advantage. Is they say, okay, we're gonna pick the top. 30, two of the top 30 offensive tackles in college in the first five rounds. And that's what they did. Um, so then in the sixth round, the Bears got Khalil Herbert from Virginia Tech running back. They got a wide receiver the next pick, four picks later, from North Carolina, Daz Newsom. Then they got a quarterback, Thomas Graham Jr. from Oregon. And to finish their draft, they got a defensive tackle, Kyrie's Tonga. So they got everything. Defense, offense. The defense they didn't need as much of, but they still saw a need for it in the later rounds. Because in the earlier rounds, defense isn't as much of a need. The Bears took advantage of that need, of some needs later in the rounds. They got every single piece they needed. A- minus for the Bears. The reason why I gave them a minus, I just thought they gave up too much for the trade-ups, but that those trade-ups were needed. So 
kind of take every single step to 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 do that. So I say that since the Bears traded away draft picks for the next couple years, I would say this is the most important draft the Chicago Bears will have. I would say in the next half decade. Considering they got their future quarterback, they their wanted future quarterback in Justin Fields, they got two offensive linemen, and then from the rest of the way, they got a young running back, a young wide receiver, and two young defensive tackles, and a quarterback. That's huge. So, Bears draft this season was great. I know it was a couple weeks ago, or at least a week and a half ago. I'm really happy to be able to talk about it on today's show, especially in a timely matter. It, it, it made a lot of sense. And with all that going on up north, we saw Aaron Rodgers, the reigning MVP, not wanting to play for the Green Bay Packers because of his dislike of the front office and the general manager. Boy, oh boy, was that a... that That's just a shot to the heart for everybody in Green Bay. And, um, you know, you got Jordan Love as a backup quarterback. It's just, you know, maybe the Packers might want to consider signing a quarterback right now. Maybe a veteran quarterback. I don't know. But this Packers situation, especially losing the past three NFC Championship games, you know, do they want to move on from Aaron Rodgers? You know, Aaron Rodgers said originally he wanted to finish his career with Green Bay, but if he doesn't like the system... You know, what's the point in having him on the team, right? It's not healthy to be playing for a team you don't want to play for. That's why guys like, um, oh, I don't know, um, J.J. Watt from Houston moved to Arizona because he didn't like the system in Houston. You know, those are the types of players that they cannot succeed unless they're satisfied. And Aaron Rodgers is clearly dissatisfied with the Packers organization. And, I mean, hey, I don't blame him. I've been dissatisfied for them for 23 years of my life. My whole life, basically. I've been dissatisfied with the Green Bay Packers. But it's it's okay. Um, You know, I think the Bears won this draft phase like this phase of the offseason the bears are number one in the nfc north minnesota vikings they they wanted to pick up justin fields and now they're they they don't have much to show for it you know lions are the lions you don't know what they're the heck they're gonna do if they're gonna have a, a good season or not maybe a 500 season but the bears i feel like even if they're gonna start andy dalton next season which they they plan on doing i honestly think that there should be a quarterback competition and maybe by week four justin Fields starts to make some starts but that is a conversation for a later time but my point is is that there's so much confidence brewing now in the bears organization with what happened this draft compared to the beginning of this offseason where everybody was like okay we're not gonna be bears fans anymore i kind of give up on this team and then pow they got a new quarterback. Just like that. A hopeful franchise quarterback. That could do great things for them in the future. And now the Bears can look for wide receivers. They they can develop their young guys. They can maybe try to even add to that offensive line. And um, a lot 
to kind of consider with that with the Bears situation. Um, another thing that broke my heart yesterday, I, I saw a newsflash with Bears running back Tariq Cohen. Um, absolutely heartbreaking news out of his life, and I, I would assume this would affect him in his career in some way, shape, or form, is that um, Tariq Cohen has twin brother Tyrell Cohen. I, I feel like I think his name is Tyrell. Um, he passed away about a couple of days ago, um, due to an accident at his job. And, um, it's just heartbreaking to, to see that happen to such a good human being. And, um, he's a twin brother. It was a twin, I know I, I have a twin brother myself. So just imagining that happening to my own loved ones and to somebody else who I have grown to know as a sports analyst over the years seeing that them go through that it's a tough tough thing to watch so my condolences to the to the cohen family um all my thoughts go to you guys um you're you're a strong strong group of people and um i just hope nothing but the best for the cohen family there and um just sad heartbreaking news man i you just I've covered many, many, many deaths on this show, Um, most notably Kobe Bryant and what happened that, you know, I hosted a show right after that. That was episode 159. You can actually go back to that episode and check it out if you'd like. I've covered the death of uh, Jose Fernandez from the Marlins. Um, And then, yeah, just a couple others that is just heartbreaking. And, like, I hate to say that, you know, I've done it so much because it's just something that, you know, it's unscripted. And um, this is where I say, you know, especially being Mother's Day yesterday and, um, you know, spending time with family and kind of enjoying all those moments that you have in life, the little moments, and being there for your loved ones and being there for yourself because you never know when your life changes. And in my in my situation, you know, life has has changed recently. You know, I've had a couple family deaths. I've had a couple of um, friends who I've lost, and it's it's just something that in life you have to deal with, and it's the unfortunate nature of the journey of life. And I, I'm I'm sorry that I'm kind of taking this the this news from yesterday kind of to a, a a level beyond sports, but you know I always take in sports and take in everything I do in life to the fullest because I never know when I'm going to experience this last. So that's why I enjoy it to the best. You know I never know when my next Cubs game is. Right. You know last last year when I was at the Blackhawks game. On March 11th, the day that they announced the pandemic, that when is this next? When when will be the next time I attend a sporting event? And it took over a year and two months until I was able to attend my next sporting event, which was a, a Cubs game about three weeks ago. So, you know, it breaks my heart that this is what's going on in our world, and with what's going on in our society and the pandemic and societal discourses you know we all have to tend to our loved ones and ourselves and be the best human we can possibly be 
And I think that's what we could take from this. And um, yeah, I love you, whoever listens to this pro- uh, podcast and takes their time out of the day. And I hope that, you know, it's I have delivered your time the best. And if I have not, tell me. <laughs> Maybe I'll get better. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just every second, even what right now as I'm talking, you know, just enjoy the moment. Enjoy what you have in life because you never know when that will end. So, um, thoughts out to the Cohen family there. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just move, moving on with football. Um, the draft, I don't know who won the draft. I would say, I would say the bears won the draft overall. The bears won it. You know, when you talk about expectations and you talk about, um, what the Bears had to go through even before the drafts and the fans. Like, talk about a, a total 180 with the fans. Like, the fans were hating on Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy, and then boom, just like that, everyone is, is in love with them. Everyone's like, who who's, like, whispering in Ryan Pace's ear right now with these picks? Um, but now everyone, like, loves Ryan Pace. Like, the total 180 that was turned in three nights of the draft, mind-boggling to me. So in that regard, I think the Bears won the draft because, you know, faith has been restored. And there's nothing compared to having faith for your team. Because if you don't have faith for your team, like, being a sports fan for that team isn't as valuable. And now, as a Bears fan, I could say, I feel like my time spent being a fan of the Bears is now more valuable. And that's a good feeling. So that's the Chicago Bears and football NFL draft. We will move on to soccer. We'll talk about some soccer because uh, I'm going to talk three leagues um, and four leagues if you count the Europa European Super League. Last thoughts on the Super League. It was fun while while it lasted. Fun, I may say, in a facetious term. Uh, it was fun. You know, fans rioted. Owners dropped out. European football looked bad for a couple weeks, but now it's back. <laughs> what is what is the latest on the Super League? Are they like gonna bring a new? Watch them like go to the MLS and be like, "Can we make a Super League in the United States?" Oh my gosh! So, um, in the New York Times, they posted a headline about three days ago. They said nine Super League founders admit that they made a mistake. And they recommit to UEFA. Ah, uh. <laughs> uh, man. I mean, it's still it's still active. Like the Super League still exists, but like, how long? How long will it exist? I mean, it's defunct. I mean, that's the best word to say. It. It's defunct. It's a defunct league that didn't work out for the teams that they wanted it to work out for. Um. Big news coming out five hours ago in terms of the Super League. Juventus, they're going to face a series, Serie A expulsion. Not a suspension, an expulsion if they do not withdraw from the Super League. The Italian FA president, Gabriel Gravini, said on Monday that that will happen if Juventus does not pull out from the Super League. Like, at this point, whoever is in the Super League, like, what what are you seeing in this league right now? With everybody out, like, what are you seeing? Like, what, 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 what is, like, what are you trying to accomplish? 
by staying in the Super League. Doesn't make sense. So that's Super League. The doesn't make sense league. I'll call it. <laughs> I like that actually. The Super League. The doesn't make sense league. Uh, I should have made that up three weeks ago when I first mentioned it. But hey, I'm glad I did. All right. So um, I think the biggest thing that's going on in the soccer world right now is La Liga in Spain. Because that is a very high anticipated... Oh, I, I never... I don't really, I usually talk Premier League, but when I talk La Liga, they better be doing something good because guess what the standings are like. And we all know that a draw equals one point and a win equals three points. So keep that in mind. So so let's get down and dirty with these La Liga standings because it's, it's pretty dirty up in the top three. Let me tell you that. Let's do it. Atletico Madrid... 35 games played, 77 points. Real Madrid at 35 games played and 75 points. And Barcelona at 35 games played and 20, not 23, 75 points. So two and three. Real Madrid and Barcelona, probably the most illustrious rivalry in La Liga and possibly all of Europe and all of soccer for that matter are tied for second and third place. And then right behind them is Sevilla at 71 points. But I'm going to probably just talk about the top three. And I want to talk about the next matchups for each respective team in the top three because uh, it matters. You know, each game matters. So nine potential points for each team. And Atletico Madrid currently has the advantage. So Atletico Madrid are facing Real Sociedad. Osasuna and at uh and Vala Valladolid, if that's how you pronounce it. Valladolid. Alright, we'll just keep it at that. But um besides the point, you know, those seem like pretty easy matchups because uh the only big matchup is Real Sociedad for them because they are fifth. And if anything, Real Sociedad needs a win because that'll keep them in a possible chase for the Champions League since it's um, top four or top six. And right now it is Real Sociedad with 56 points um, right in front of Real Betis at 54 points. So those two teams are fighting for a possible Champions League uh, bid, uh, depending on how other leagues perform. So let's look at Real Madrid's remaining schedule. Real Madrid has Granada, Atletic Club, and Villarreal. So um, the big matchup there would be Athletic Club at ninth place, and Granada's also at 10th place. Um, and then, yep, that is that for those two teams. Nothing really big for those two teams. So if anything, Real Madrid has an advantage there. Let's look at Barcelona's remaining schedule of three more games. They got Levante, Celta Vigo, and El Ibar. Ibar, if you may say. And with that being said, you know, um, the, the big match there is Villarreal, who is in seventh place. Celta Vigo is in eighth place. So um, this is, is going to be a really interesting ending to La Liga. I don't think that I have seen an ending like this in professional soccer in Europe, but this is quite the ending. Like, you got three teams vying for a 
you know, for a title. And all those teams are within one game. With Atletico Madrid having two more points than the the second and third place teams. Now, I really do believe Real Madrid has the advantage with the rest of the teams played. In their last five, they have drawn, won, drawn, won, and drawn. The last five for Barcelona, they have won, won, lost, won, and drawn. Then Atletico Madrid in their last five, they have won, won, lost, won, and drawn. So, um, you got a very mixed, very mixed winning and losing stretch for all those teams. You never even know. Sevilla might even come back from behind with 71 points and make some make some noise because they're also having a really good season. Um, so, yeah. I don't talk about La Liga very much, but this is a really, really, really interesting um, setup here for these standings. And quite honestly, um, I'm going to have to tune in for a couple of those Real Madrid and Barcelona games because those are the teams that are coming up from behind, and they, they're they dangerous. Atletico Madrid knows that. So if Atletico Madrid can draw and win two, I think Madrid will, Atletico Madrid will be the champions of La Liga, and that would be quite the, um, I, I, w- I would say quite the story. Let's look at the Premier League, um, you know, because the Premier League, with what happened with the European Super League, all things considered, I think was shaken up a bit because some some games got postponed. Some, you know, Manchester United situation right now is very very bad because you know they're they had their their front office is not very likable with Manchester United. You know, their front office is focused on be on making Manchester United a ten billion dollar company, whereas the fans just want to see them win and they want to see them not take part in European Super Leagues or any other leagues that just sounds fishy, you know? Like, why would you want to do that, right? So, Manchester United right now is second place in the Premier League with 70 points, and then you got Manchester City at 80 points with 35 matches played. So, with that being said, you got potentially Manchester United with less than three games left. If they do not win, if Manchester United draws or loses... Or if they draw or win, they're still in striking distance for a Premier League title. Chelsea has 64 points. Leicester City has 63. And West Ham United has have 58. Manchester City's remaining schedule, um, they also have a few games um, not in the Premier League. They actually have a game against Chelsea. So we're going to have an all-Champions League final between Manchester City and Chelsea. Would you look at that? That is on May 29th. That is going to be so much fun, and I'm going to be talking about that when the time comes. But before that, Manchester City has to play Newcastle, Brighton, and Everton. I would think that Manchester City will win the Champions League safe and sound. Manchester United, though, they have a couple more. Ma- they have four more matchups, so they have twelve potential points compared to the Manchester City's nine potential points. Um, but with being ten points behind Manchester City right now, it doesn't seem very feasible. However, this is Manchester United's remaining schedule. Tomorrow they got Leicester City, then they got Liverpool, Fulham, and um, Wolverhampton Wolves. So. Um, that is the rest of that schedule, and then I could just care less for Chelsea. I'm only going to care about Chelsea once they reach the Champions League final, which is on May 29th. We'll get to that point when the time comes. Now, let's talk about MLS standing. This is what I love about soccer. You got so many standings. They're all over the place. So let's talk about them. Um, 
So currently, with only four matches in, um, the top teams in the Eastern Conference, New York City, New England, New York Red Bulls, Orlando, Orlando City, Nashville, Columbus, and uh, Atlanta United. Uh, and then you look at the Western Conference, you got the Seattle Sounders, San Jose, LA Galaxy, Vancouver, Sporting KC, Colorado, Real Salt Lake, and uh, Matthew McConaughey's very own Austin FC. <laughs> I don't kick the ball, the ball kicks me. <laughs> I don't know. I I can't. I still can't get over the fact that Matthew McConaughey is a, a, an MLS team owner, and then LAFC is owned by Will Ferrell. Who else but Will Ferrell? That's amazing. Um, I don't know if I, how I feel about non-sports figures owning sports teams, um, but that could be just another conversation for another day. Uh, but, yep, I said the standings in order. The teams that are currently undefeated is the Seattle Sounders, and that is it. That is the only undefeated. Actually, no, I stand incorrected. You got also Orlando City, Nashville, and Columbus, but they have drawn three times, except Columbus, who's drawn two times. They've only played three games. So, um, But Columbus is your normal good team. Columbus is a good team this year, so expect them to come running up. And uh, let's look at where Chicago is. Chicago is 13th place, second to last. They have zero wins, one draw, and three losses. Would you look at that? Chicago Fire playing at Soldier Field. Wow. So, speaking of Soldier Field, I wanted to talk about this when I was talking about the Chicago Bears, but it works for the Chicago Fire too. Should they move Soldier Field or build a new stadium to Arlington Heights? I live in Arlington Heights. I live here. I pay taxes. Well, I I pay taxes. Not a lot because I don't own a house here, but... If any team moves a stadium where Arlington Park is right now, and I, we still pay taxes for Arlington Park, um, they're selling the stadium, so anybody can come up and buy it. The Bears, however, on the other hand, and Mayor Lori Lightfoot here in Chicago, um, want to see the Bears have the best fan engagement possible. And Soldier Field is not the epitome of that. First and foremost, it's the smallest stadium in the NFL. The parking there is god-awful. I spent more time getting out of the parking lot than I did attending the game when I went there once. In, like, zero-degree weather. And just a terrible situation. But then you look at Arlington Park and you say, Oh my god, it's next to two main highways, Interstate 90 and uh, Illinois 53. And then you also have a metro stop. Arlington Park metro stop. You don't have a Metro or even a CTA stop for Soldier Field. And if you get off at Roosevelt on the Red Line CTA, you got to walk like five or six blocks. That or you park in a terrible, the most terrible parking lot ever made in mankind. Soldier Field is the worst parking lot I have ever been a part of. The worst. And you look at Arkansas Park's parking lot, it's pretty good. They got a lot of acres. They could build a stadium, but the taxes are going to go sky high. At, is it worth it? Do we call them the Arlington Park Bears? What? Like what? I think they should name the new stadium Arlington Park. I, I think if that was to happen, that'd be really cool. 
Um, like extremely cool. Like, whew, I, 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 I don't know, man. It, it's a tough, it's tough to kind of imagine. Arlington Park, the new home of the Chicago Bears. What kind of stadium would that look like? I was flying from Flor. It's funny. Um, a couple days ago, I was flying from Fort Myers, Florida to O'Hare, and that route. What happens is I'm on the left side of the plane. They're landing at O'Hare from the west side. So, um, because they're from Southwest Florida, they want to land at O'Hare from the west side. That's what my pilot friend told me. I'm gonna go with it. Um, but since I was able to look uh, due north, I was able to see when we were about to land Arlington Park. So I saw it, and I was like, I imagined to myself, literally in that moment, looking at Arlington Park from the from the air. I was like, hmm, how would an NFL stadium look from here? And I also was able to see the lake from that vantage point. I didn't realize how close I was to the lake until I saw saw that viewpoint from the air. Um, but I saw Arlington Park. I was like, wow, that's a really good spot. You think about other spots, like I talked about Tropicana Field earlier in this show, and they're not even in Tampa Bay. They're in St. Petersburg, and they still call themselves the Tampa Bay Rays, and yet have built a stadium near a very rural area, right? Or urban area. Um, So that being said, you got to think about the values here. Do the fans want to pay taxes, more taxes and whatever, and have a stadium in Arlington Park? here in the suburbs and have better access to a stadium with a potentially even better stadium than Soldier Field. I would I I mean, I I'm 50/50 on it. It's a really cool idea and it's really fun to think about if I still live here by the time that that would potentially happen, which I don't think would ever happen in the next 20 years to be honest with you because the contract at Soldier Field for the Bears ends in 2033, if I'm correct. So they would have to opt out of that contract, which would require a lot of discussions and a lot of paperwork, um, which I don't think the Bears or the Mc- or the McCaskey family wants to do. And also, you got the Chicago Fire not playing at Soldier Fields. And then, what would happen to Soldier Field, right? What would happen to Soldier Field if they move everything to Arlington Heights? I don't know. Anyways, that is that. Um, I'm not done with the segment. It's episode 200, and we're still going. And it has surpassed two hours right now here on this episode of Money Mad Sports Talk. So let's keep the grind going. And it's not even the last segment of the day. It's not. And I'm still fine. All right. Let's do it. Let's go to the next topic of discussion here today. And that is the Kentucky Derby. The Kentucky Derby this year, I did not watch it, but from the news that I have read, it was controversial. Not at the time of the race, but a couple days after the race went down at Churchill Downs. See what I did there? Um, Now, um, record holder Bob Baffert, the jockey for Medina Spirit that won the race is now under a lot of heat. He's won seven majors. So this guy this guy is a legend. This guy is like the Tom that's seven championships. That's he's like the Tom Brady of horse racing. Think about it that way. Bob Baffert, Tom Brady of horse racing. Is now 
this is not the first controversial thing that happened because I think eight months ago, Bob Baffert won a race and his horse tested positive for a steroid called betamethasone, um, which is an anti-inflammatory drug that you should technically give horses when they're doing athletic abilities, but only to a certain dose. I think 11 doses of the drug is legal, but I think above that is illegal. And apparently in Medina Spirit, they found 22 doses of betamethasone in the horse's system, which is sometimes used for to treat pain and inflammation. It's like, think about this. It's like putting, um, poof. It's like injecting a ton of painkillers into yourself and and running on a broken leg. Or, you know, giving yourself superhuman strength for only a temporary period of time. Because obviously, you know, you got a mile and a quarter to run around a race and it takes about a minute and a half, right? All you need is that minute and a half to win a championship, right? So you only need that certain amount of Betamethasone to win the race. And Medina Spirit win over Mandaloon, which is um, the second place horse, um, is kind of standing by right now because currently, after the drug test failed for Medina Spirit, um, the Tom Brady of horse racing, Bob Baffert, is now indefinitely suspended from Churchill down. So he cannot race in the Kentucky Derby anymore. So it's like saying, Tom Brady, you cannot compete in any more Super Bowls. Um, the track said, failure to comply with the rules and medication protocols jeopardizes the safety of horses and jockeys, the sports integrity, and the Derby's reputation. Well, come on. I, we've seen this a lot, you know, in baseball, the steroid era, Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, Barry Bonds. Did they get suspended? On oh, some facet, they got. Um, uh, I mean, you get the point. So the statement reads, um, or at least Baffert's statement said, I intend to thoroughly and transparently investigate the matter to determine how this could have happened because I did not know that this horse was under that much dosage of this steroid. I think the one thing about being a jockey is to understand your horse the most. The relationship between a horse and the jockey is the most important relationship in in racing, in any sort of racing. You know, a car can't, you can't have a relationship with your car in car racing unless you talk to your car on the side and Say, hey, buddy, you better win me the race today here in the Indy 500. It's not like a, a NASCAR driver does that. Um, you know, but a horse is a living being. A horse has emotions. A horse has athletic abilities unlike any other animal. That's why you, you measure a car's acceleration by horsepower, right? Am I not? Am I wrong? Like, the horse has so much power, but the horse can only have so much power if the horse 
has a specific relationship with its jockey because the jockey controls the horse's mental. You know, are you going to go to the inside of the track? Are you going to go to the outside of the track? What is that horse going to do during the race that that like basically makes them too unique to any other horse that's racing? That's what makes them the fastest horse on the track. What sets that horse aside from other horses is to cut to the inside lane, have a certain speed at a certain point of the race. Like, the jockey has to have that relationship with the horse. So when Bob Baffert says that he doesn't know how this could have happened, it shows that he didn't have the best relationship with his horse, and the horse only won because of the steroids that the horse took. Bob Baffert also said we will have to split sample and analyze the the DNA. And that will be the first step of of the process. So um, a process is right now um, said Baffert also said he's a great horse. He doesn't deserve this. He ran a gallant race. So who deserves the blame? The owner? I think the owner. If anybody can, can... be of blame but it's hard to also imagine a disqualification because the first time the only time a horse has been disqualified after winning the kentucky derby is dancer's image from 1968 so imagine going to a kentucky derby seeing a horse win and then coming back home and a week later that horse got disqualified because of steroids it's like attending every single game for barry bonds and saying, or even that, catching Barry Bonds' 756 home run, right? And then later on figuring out that he, he's used steroids. Like, how do you feel about that? So, um, yeah, that is it. If Medina Spirit is qualified, his connections will not receive the $1.86 million winner share. So, nearly $2 million are at stake here. And, of course, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually wondering about betters' odds. You know, will people who bet on the race lose the money? Like, if, let's say if I won, like, $100 by betting on Medina Spirit, will I get that money? Will I have to relinquish that money? That's what I'm wondering. Um, I don't think so because I don't think that's how sports betting sites work. I think it works in the moment. But also people who bet on um, the the second place horse, right? Uh, What if they would have won? So, um, yeah. That is that. I can't believe I spent like nearly 10 minutes talking about Kentucky Derby because like it baffles me baffles me that Baffert did you know didn't know that this was going on you have to know your horse if you know your horse you're gonna win if the horse knows you the horse is gonna win <laughs> I'm not gonna swear on the podcast but uh this situation is horse crap all right this is not this is this is horse doo-doo if you may say this is not a ideal situation for anybody involved. So that being said, I am done talking about that because, um, to be quite honest with you, I'm kind of mad. 
I hate I hate seeing horses being disqualified for something that they don't have control over, right? Like that hurts. That's that's something that you know. I mean, the horse doesn't. I don't think the horse knows that he won one point eight six million dollars. Like the horse doesn't have a checking account. If the horse has a checking account or a savings account, what would you call it? Um, that would just be horsing around. Ha <laughs> ha! Too many puns in this segment. And I'm going to stop right there because you're just going to tune out at that point. Um, but yeah, like, come on. No cheating. No cheaters. So now Medina Spirit is the Houston Astros of horse racing. Would you look at that? Wow. So Baffert could lose his record seventh derby win. The Tom Brady of Kentucky Derbies cheated. Just like the Houston Astros. And to some people, Tom Brady. Deinflating the balls. Does Tom Brady deinflate his footballs? I don't know. You have to ask him. All right. So uh, we're not done with this segment, by the way. I don't know what you're doing thinking the segment's done, but we're still going. Because I got some golf to talk about. This is the 200th episode. We're talking about everything. Let's do it. What's going on in the golf world? Golf. Golf, 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 golf. Golf courses are opening up. And back to when I was in the air flying from Fort Myers to Chicago, I counted the amount of golf courses I saw um, when I was near landing. I, I, I cannot believe how many golf courses are in Florida. There's like... Mm, in a five-mile radius where I was staying in Naples, Florida, there had got to be 25 golf courses. At least in a five-mile radius. There were so many golf courses that if I hit a ball from one golf course, it could probably reach another golf course. Think about that. Yeah, golf. Golf, 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 golf. Um, Rory McIlroy, I think, just recently won. Um, and that's it. That's all I can say. That's all I can say. I, it's, I mean, golf is golf. I, if anyone wants to play a nine-hole game with me, whether that's at Twin Lakes or um, Nickel Knoll, that's usually where I go. It's a cheaper game. It's like ten bucks, and then every ten games you get a free game, free putting practice. Like that's fun. I don't want to walk around an eighteen-hole golf course for five hours, even though I get a golf cart. Golf carts are fun. I'll have to admit. But like, I like my nine-hole games because I get to work out. Carry my bag of pink golf clubs around. Yes, my golf cu- my golf clubs are pink. I love you, Grandma. She was the one who gave me those golf clubs. My grandmother was like, hmm, I'm going to retire from golf. And Noah, here, take my pink golf clubs. And I could have not been any more flattered to receive those pink golf clubs from my grandmother. Grandma Arlene, shout out to you. You're the loveliest woman I have ever met. You're the best grandma in the world. If you say your grandma's the best grandma in the world, well, then you have to meet my grandma. You just have to. Grandma Arlene, the greatest. The greatest grandma of all time. The grandma of all time. The goat of grandmas. Grandma Arlene. Anyways, she's also a huge tennis fan. And I was going to talk tennis today because um, uh, Naomi... Oh, so this is tennis now. Uh, Naomi Osaka. Um, she... Is, I think she just signed a deal with Nike. But... Um, yeah, nothing else. <laughs> nothing else. Roger Federer. That's it. <laughs> That's all I know of tennis. Um, but yeah, so uh, yeah, so the recent big 
golf t- tournament was the Wells Fargo Championship, and um, Roy McIlroy um, win it, wins it, I believe. So uh, that is the most successful golfer, or the most headlined golfer right now is Roy McIlroy. So uh, that is that for that of that for the golf world. Okay, so um, I believe this episode is going to reach three hours today because we're at like two hours and 15 minutes at this point. Because next segment, and we're finally done. Hallelujah! We're finally done with this segment. This segment was stacked. Chicago Bears. NFL draft. Talked about uh, football. Talked about soccer. Premier League. La Liga. MLS. European Super League. Then I got into the Kentucky Derby, talked about horse racing and horses having savings accounts because horses don't realize that they're getting paid. Medina Spirit probably has more money than my whole family combined. Probably not. I don't know. But Medina Spirit is the richest horse if the disqualification does not go through. Um, But then we ended the show or this segment. Not the show. We're not done yet. I know. I know. Uh, we also got into some golf briefly talked about my pink golf clubs and Roy McIlroy being the headliner right now um, in the golf world uh, talked a little just literally 10 seconds on tennis because um, I don't know tennis um, but yeah we basically have talked about all the sports that I've talked about on Monday Mass Sports Talk in its history in its history of 200 episodes that is baseball that is Olympics that is what, what what else did I do? Like, I, there's so much that I've done already. I don't even remember. Got NFL, NBA, and NHL. All these guys. All esports. I talked about esports already in this show. I've done a lot, and we're two two hours and sixteen minutes into it. So, fasten your seatbelts, folks, because we're going three hundred feet in the air, otherwise known as a giga coaster in roller coaster terminology and um if i were to ever start a separate podcast it'd be on roller coaster so let's strap in our seat we're going 300 feet because we're going on a 90 degree drop and talking some ufc mma bellator even uh because we saw some good bellator fights this past week um and then amping up for ufc 262 next week and then we're gonna talk about boxing jake paul logan paul fighting uh floyd mayweather also this past weekend canelo alvarez fighting um Je- what the hell his name is? So- Billy Joe Saunders, right. And it was a good fight up until the eighth round, and we'll talk about that and more. Also, um, we're going to do a Monday Madness Sports Talk tribute where I'll be talking about kind of the history of Monday Madness Sports Talk and uh, kind of giving some uh, thank yous to those who deserve it um, that has been involved with this show throughout the past five years and just my life in general and how that has influenced Monday Mass Sports Talk. So you're going to get some uh, history coming up next here on the 200th episode of Monday Mass Sports Talk here on May 10th, 2021. Be back in a jiffy. Stay tuned. Welcome in to Monday Madness Sports Talk, your one-stop shop for all things Chicago sports and beyond, right here on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts.
Welcome back to the 200th episode of Monday Mana Sports Talk here on May 10th, 2021. So let's get it going with the final segment of the day. Here, two hours and 20 minutes into the podcast. Whew, what a time to be alive. Here with Stash Koenig, craving for more, therefore entering into the final segment of the day today. And it is combat sports, all combat sports. So every single combat sport that I have talked about, whether that's MMA, boxing, wrestling, judo, everything's in this segment. Also, at the end of the segment, I'll be talking about me, um, my sports movie of the week. It's, it's going to be a new kind of segment on Monday Mass Sports Talk. It won't be an every show segment, but I'll be watching a sports movie and talking about it. So this week's movie, or movies, is the Creed series. The Creed 1 and the Creed 2. So here's what I did. You all know by this time I went to Florida this past week. And on both flights, there and back, there, I watched Creed 1 on my iPad. And then on the way back, I watched Creed 2. So that is the way I spent my two flights. Perfectly timed movies on a two-hour and 20-minute flight. Two hours and 20 minutes for both movies. Uh, I think Creed 2 is like two hours and 10 minutes. But it worked out. So I'll be talking about those two movies at the end of the segment. And then at the very end of the show... I'm going to do a little tribute segment to Monday Madness Sports Talk, talk about the history of it, and uh, what's to look forward to next beyond episode 200. So here we go with some UFC. Let's talk about it because I missed two events to talk about last week. It was UFC Fight Night, Dominic Reyes versus Yuri Prohatska. Fight of the night there, but it ended up in a round two Knockout by Yuri Pohatska by a spinning elbow. A spinning elbow knockout. One of the most beautiful types of knockouts you'll see in the UFC by Yuri Pohatska. And he will be the next light heavyweight challenger. Once the uh, next light heavyweight title bout commences between Glover Teixeira and now champion Jan Blachowicz. So that will be interesting to watch now with Yuri Prohatska because you got to believe that Prohatska is a very big threat to any any fighter. Even that, I would say John Jones if he was still in the light heavyweight division. But that was the most notable fight from that night. Uh, last night we saw, or I'm sorry, Saturday night. This past Saturday night we saw a fight night. Uh, main event between Marina Rodriguez and Michelle Waterson. The women's flyweights went at it for five minutes. Uh, Marina Rodriguez got it, getting the best of Michelle Waterson. Now moving up to 14-1-2 and in her professional record. But uh, most notably for me, it was the welterweight co-main event between Donald Cerrone and Alex Morono. Morono KOing Donald Cerrone four minutes and 40 seconds in. And then um, you also got welterweight matchup between Neil Magny and Jeff Neal. Neil Magny, a three-round decision. And I'm telling you, wrestling wins fights. Wrestling wins fights. I'm going to say it again. Wrestling wins fights. You can strike him. You can try to knock him out. But if you can get him to the ground, you have control. You have the advantage. Wrestling works every time. And Neil Magny was able to out-wrestle Jeff Neal and beat him by a decision. 
a very close split decision. If you actually, it was actually a unanimous decision, but I actually thought it was going to be a split decision um, for that. So uh, a good slew of fight nights, and we also got UFC 262 coming up this Saturday night. Uh, I want to talk about that, but I also want to get into what happened on Bellator Friday night because there was a Bellator event that um, featured Sergio Pettis, the brother of um, Anthony Pettis. He outpoints, so by decision, Juan Arculeta to win the Bellator Bantamweight title. So congratulations to Sergio Pettis, a now Bellator champion. And also in that fight card, you saw, um, what's his face? I always mention him. Um, Michael Venom Page. He wins by a um, unbelievable kick knockout. This dude's unbelievable. Highlight reel waiting to happen. Now he wants a rematch with current Bantamweight champion Diego Lima. Um... And that's another great fight in the making. I think the first fight between Lima and Michael Venom Page was incredible. That's a fight that I would greatly look forward to. So make it happen, Bellator. Make that fight happen or take Lima and Venom Page into the UFC. But um, some really fun fights coming out of Bellator. Um, As I wanted to mention Bellator this show, because I never really mentioned Bellator, but Bellator is the secondary to UFC. Um, If it's not UFC, it's got to be Bellator because they put on some really good fights. Okay, so let's move to UFC 262 at uh, the Toyota Center in Houston, Texas. And it'll be a full crowd. A full crowd. Once again, for the UFC pay-per-view, the second straight UFC pay-per-view card to feature a full crowd. Um, at this point, we're seeing full crowds everywhere. We're seeing full crowds at baseball games, football games, soccer games, Um Everywhere here in the United States. So, not everywhere. Mostly down south. Um, I think the Kentucky Derby, if I'm correct, had a full crowd. Um, But with that being said, I can't really pose a problem until there is a problem that arises from full crowds. You know, I hope the vaccine is doing its job. um, And that it helps, you know, bring life back to its normal self, if you may say. And I feel like we're getting some of that taste with the UFC and bringing in fans back into the stands. So, for instance, we got this weekend a five-fight main card. We got a prelim card that's pretty notable and also some good early prelim action. So, let's get into it here. Um, I'm going to skip the early prelims. If you want to check out the early prelims, prelims, uh, you can always go to UFC.com. Because uh, in my eyes, nothing too notable, but always a good fight card when you when you can watch four for, uh, prelim fights. But that is only on UFC Fight Pass, which always kind of concerns me, to be honest with you. I don't know why it's only on UFC Fight Pass, but it always, of course, um, markets you know spending ten dollars a month for watching UFC Fight Pass. Okay, so the prelim card. Let's look at the notables here. The one big notable at the featured prelim bout is Ronaldo Souza against Andre Munez. Uh, Souza lost his last fight, and now he's going to have to come back at it against Andre Munez at middleweight at that free featured prelim. So starting at 9 o'clock Central Time, we've got ourselves a main card. Starting off at featherweight, Shane Burgos, Edinson Barboza. Edson Barboza, you always got to look forward to him fighting. And then Shane Burgos, also a 13-2-0 record. Um, Edson Barboza is always a tough guy to beat. So um, with that being said, look forward to a really good fight between these two. 
Women's flyweight, you got Caitlin Kokagan versus Vivian Arugio. Uh, I, I Kokagan impressed me in her last fight, so let's see if she could do the same thing in her in this fight against Vivian. I've never seen Vivian fight, but I guess a very notable fighter like Caitlin Kugagan, you know, I'd like to see my head get turned with new fighters. I want to see Arugio, Arugio dominate this fight. I got her winning this fight if you want to... Um, kind of put your money on it it's actually a based on the UFC based on the Google search that I've had in the Google main card it says there's four fights on the main card but I don't think that's correct um so let me just double check that because I, I I can guarantee you that there is at least five fights on this main card because if it's not then what's the point of paying a $65 pay-per-view card for only four fights like you know why not just move the Ronaldo Souza fight up to main card? At least, at, at least make it a five fight card, and th- that makes the most sense. It really does. And I don't want to be paying sixty five dollars for five car- for five fights, or no, for four fights. I'm not paying sixty five dollars for four fights. I'm not. So um, I'm sorry, Dana. Just not this time. Um, it's okay though. Uh, I'm still just as well going to talk about the fights because I do. I do want to make some bets. I want to make some bets today, because um, the fighters I think are going to win are both underdogs. So let's check it out. Um, it starts off with featherweight fight Edson Barboza and Shane Burgos. Edson Barboza always a tough guy to beat. Never want to fight up against this guy. But then you got a. With only two losses in his career, Shane Burgos coming up um, as the ninth-ranked featherweight. So this is going to be a fun one to start off the main card. And then he got number two-ranked women's flyweight, Caitlin Kogagan against Vivian Arujo. Uh, Vivian, I don't know her very much. I haven't really seen her fight. But I would like to see kind of like a new new fresh blood get at Caitlin Kogagan because I really don't think Kogagan um, in any way, shape, or form can compete against... Amanda Nunez or uh, Valentina Shevchenko, you know, though I, I want to see some new blood. I want to see some new types of fighters that know that they can compete against the best of the best. And this is Viviana Ruggio's time to prove that in this fight against Caitlin. Okay, lightweight bout. You got Tony Ferguson. Tony, Tony, Tony. The Tony Ferguson against number nine ranked Benil Darius. The last time Tony has fought was up against the main card fighter, or the main event fighter, and I'll get to that very soon. Uh, Tony Ferguson is on a two-fight losing streak. However, this is the time for him to make a comeback, and it's going to be up against Benil Darius. Tony Ferguson, a plus-125 underdog. I really do think he's going to win this fight, as long as he plays his cards right. Tony Ferguson coming in, like I said, plus-125, uh, and Benil Darius, and minus-152. I got Tony Ferguson in this fight, and then in the light, Wait, title bout this weekend. You got Charles Oliveira and Michael Chandler facing off. Um, I, I originally thought it should have been Dustin Poirier because he beat Conor McGregor and, you know, he's just on a tear right now. But it's just not as easy as you think to make these fights. And um, Dustin Poirier actually got offered this fight. I think he got offered for Charles Oliveira. He declined it so that he could fight McGregor for a third time in July. I like that move because it's a money move for Dustin, and it's good for him um, to maybe assert that he is the better fighter than Conor McGregor. Um, so I think that's good. It's a good option there, and it's also a good pay-per-view card again. Um, so Michael Chandler and Charles Oliveira 
Chandler gets the nod for this fight, rightfully so, after his amazing performance in his UFC debut against Dan Hooker. Michael Chandler having amazing success in Bellator, translating well into the UFC. See, that's what I like. That's what I mentioned Bellator today is, you know, you got fighters that can translate from Bellator to the UFC properly, like guys like Michael Venom Page, like Diego Lima. You know, these those are the guys that you like to see possibly make a UFC appearance. Charles Oliveira is a minus 134. Michael Chandler is a one plus 110. I got Michael Chandler in this fight, even though Charles Oliveira is an amazing grappler. I don't think Michael Chandler can compete against that. And like I said at the beginning of the segment, wrestling always wins. Grappling always wins. Submission. Uh, BJJ. Jiu-Jitsu. Everything plays into effect um, as we consider... Uh, fighting on the ground. Charles Oliveira has an advantage in those categories, but Michael Chandler has been trending for this fight. He's prepared, and I think he will be ready to knock Oliveira out, if so. But that's the only five-round fight. You know, he got four fights in a pay-per-view main card. I don't think this is a pay-per-view worthy. It's not. You know, I, I like to judge events, whether or not they're pay-per-view worthy. Um, but it gives me a chance to only have to predict four fights in the card, so let's let's just predict it. So I got... Edson Barboza beating Shane Burgos. I got Vivian Arugio beating Caitlin Kogagan. Tony Ferguson beating Benil Darish. And Michael Chandler beating Charles Oliver. I got all the underdogs. I want all the underdogs to win because I want money. So, DraftKings. See you on Saturday. All right. So, seam rolling through UFC as we get to the following event after UFC 262. You got Rob Font versus Cody Garbrandt. Cody Garbrandt, after that amazing knockout he had last year, coming out against Rob Font. I'm liking this matchup a lot because these are two fighters that together, I think, make a really good stylistic fight. And uh, we'll see how that goes. But then after that, that's the only fight night in between UFC 262 and 263 because then on June 12th at the Gila River Arena, you're going to have Israel Adesanya and Marvin Vittori for the second time in both of their careers matching up. And then you got a flyweight co-main championship fight between Davidson Figueredo and Brandon Moreno. And then a welterweight five-round fight that was supposed to be at UFC 262, but ends up being at UFC 263, Leon Edwards and Nate Diaz. So this is a fight night that I'd pay for. That is what I call a pay-per-view card right there. All right, so that is that for UFC. Um, just talking about this upcoming weekend, what I think is going to win. I don't think it's a pay-per-view worthy card considering, you know, you're not getting the top two contenders in a respective decision fighting against each other. And we all know that Khabib Nurmagomedov is the true lightweight champion. You're just basically, it feels like we're fighting for a a I don't know. What I what I mean by this is that you you had events like with UFC 261 having like three championship fights. Then you go to UFC 262 with one championship fight and a championship fight that feels like an interim fight, an interim belt fight, right? It, it just doesn't feel like it's a real championship fight. But still a great fight nonetheless with Michael Chandler and uh, Charles Oliveira, and then you also got Tony Ferguson fighting on that fight night. It just doesn't feel like a like a pay-per-view card. I don't know. 
It just doesn't. It doesn't feel like I want to pay $65 for something that I could easily pay for a, a night that has three championship fights. Um, but hey, that's Dana White. He likes doing the things his own way, but that's just what's going to happen, and you're going to sacrifice some pay-per-view buys um, for that. Okay, so let's go to the world of boxing. This past weekend, we saw a fight between Canelo Alvarez and Billy Joe Saunders in a fight for um, a ton of um, ton of belts. Uh, the WBO, WBA, WBC. Um, and, of course, as predicted, Canelo Alvarez is the champion once again. Um, so... I was watching the fight. I thought it was a fun fight. A lot of people expected uh, Canelo to kind of take advantage of Billy Joe Saunders at the beginning. But he kind of started off slow, and I think Saunders won that first round. You know, Alvarez likes to start his fights calculating. He likes to kind of, like, get a feel of his opponent so that he knows how to attack. Both fighters are kind of slow, Second round picks up. Next two rounds, I would say um, Alvarez won, and then Saunders won a couple. I would I would say going into the eighth round, it was about four to three of the score in terms of winning rounds, you know. But nobody won a nobody won around ten eight. I don't think uh, any fighter won around ten eight. Maybe with the exception of the eighth round. Um, but after seven, I really thought that. Um, Billy Joe Saunders was in the fight. He was in the fight from point A to point Z. Like, you know, he's ready. Until he got caught with an uppercut that got his eye from Alvarez. Alvarez has a wicked uppercut, and uh, it caused his eye to swell just like just like that. And um, Saunders loses the fight. And, um, you know, well, it doesn't lose the fight. His, his corner threw in the towel. And, uh, you know, that's what you got to do if you want to protect your fighter. I mean, if you're injured like that and after a slew of great rounds or a couple of great rounds by Alvarez against the supposed pound-for-pound best boxer in the world, you're not going to send your fighter in again if he's injured against that guy, right? So if you think about it, I think it was the right decision to throw in the towel. It was just like very – it's just the way the fight was going at the time, it was so anticlimactic, right? You know – it's such a close fight, but then it ends not even just by a simple knockout, just because this, this corner throws in the towel. And that's it. So, um, that being said, great boxing night um, there. And uh, congrats to Canel Alvarez, once again, a champion. Um, his story is remarkable, too. You know, he, he got bullied when he was a kid because he was small and ginger. Like, why would you bully someone for that? Like, that's so stupid. But, Alvarez thought the same thing, and that's how he got into boxing. Like, he literally started beating up his bullies, and he loved it, and he got into boxing. So, all the power to Ken Al Alvarez. If I got called small and been made fun of for a stupid thing like that, I I would even start a fight. I almost, you know, I have almost started fights because I've never got into a fist fight with anyone in my life. And, uh... Ironically so, and going into my adulthood and my professional career, I don't anticipate getting into an actual fight. But it's funny enough, that is one of the things on my um, <laughs> on my bucket list, is to get into a fist fight or an MMA fight with someone. Like, 
not because it's set up because like I'm at a gym, a boxing gym. I want to actually fight someone because there's a point of me fighting, maybe protecting myself, protecting someone that I love. You know, I want to fight someone, but obviously considering my um my circumstances, I don't plan on getting into a fight. Um, <laughs> I wish I had, you know, you know, I, I'm trying to protect myself, you know, I, I got, I got to protect this beautiful face of mine, you know, so uh, I can't get into a fight just now until I'm bald and wrinkly. I'll get into a fist fight. How about that? Okay. So, um, I'll wrestle you. Well, if you want to wrestle, we can wrestle. That'd be fun. I love, I love, I love throwing down on the wrestling mats. Um, that is Always a good workout and a good uh, experience, kind of like it's a good self-discipline experience. If you ever train in jujitsu, taekwondo, anything, like it's a it's a riveting self experience. Like you, you, the fact that you can do so much in so little time and like learn so much and condition your body in such a way is remarkable. It's so remarkable to me. Um, so yeah, that is that. Uh, let's talk about Jake Paul, shall we? Or Logan Paul. Well, Logan Paul is fighting Mayweather in July. I think it's a stupid fight, but it's money. I mean, people are going to be paying for that. Floyd Mayweather even said it himself. Like, this is a guaranteed $100 million. So, like, you know, why not? And I, I, I'm I, like, okay, well, why not, you know? But um, Logan Paul is asking for trouble. Um, I haven't seen Logan Paul fight as much as Jake Paul, but I know that they both have some skill. Uh, Jake Paul had a little fiasco moment with Floyd Mayweather the other day. Uh, I definitely think this was staged, in a way. Uh, um, Jake Paul coming over to Floyd Mayweather to start arguing. Jake Paul takes his hat. He's like, I got your hat! I got your hat! And then like next next day, he posts on his Instagram of him getting a tattoo on his leg um, saying, I got your hat no cap or something that's funny i got your hat no cap i just thought that was the funniest thing that was probably the funniest thing jake paul has done in the fighting world this is that i think he's I, I think he's goofy he's entertaining in that regard but also you gotta you gotta say it's 50 50 staged like this is money we're talking about these guys are supposed to be going at each other for money that's why conor mcgregor was so illustrious in his prime was because he was able to you know cause issue with issues with other fighters and most notably Khabib Nurmagomedov that's why that was such a well-taughted event um when that was so um you know hey Jake Paul if you want to fight let's fight let's box I need a six-week training camp I need to lose some of this baby fat on me so uh yeah Jake Paul you're next I'm coming for you I'm coming for you Jake Paul you're you're not gonna like what I do to your face if you have a face after it. Just kidding. You're alright, Jake Paul. I'm not subscribed to your YouTube channel, by the way, and I plan to not to. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> alright, so that is that. Um, now, I think the boxing conversation will lead into the movie of the week. The sports movie of the week this week is Creed 1 and Creed 2, or otherwise you could just say the Rocky series. Um, I want, the whole Rocky series is on HBO Max. By the way, HBO Max and ESPN Plus, the hub for sports movies. HBO Max is the best streaming platform out there. Forget your Netflix. Forget your Hulu. Forget your Disney Plus. Why do you got a Disney Plus? Come on. I know you might have kids, but come on. Disney Plus. Give me HBO Max. 15 a month. 
Money well spent. I don't watch many TV shows, even though most recently I got into um, Doom Patrol. That's a fun show, uh, DC Doom Patrol. But um, they got unbelievable movies. I saw The Natural. It's a baseball movie. Um, I don't know how, if you've ever watched it, I don't know how an outfielder can die running through an outfield fence to catch a, a home run ball. Like, how do you die? And then when the guy died, I, I, I hate that I'm laughing about this, but when the guy dies, they literally take his cremated ashes on a plane and for a pregame ceremony in the movie, this movie's like made in 1984, so I guess, I don't know, the rituals might be different. I, I, it's hard for me to believe that, but they literally take this guy's ashes and throw him off of off a plane above the baseball field so that the ashes can fall or somebody's cremated ashes are falling on fans on the stadium like in what world or mindset do you think that is a good idea that baffles me how do you throw somebody's cremated ashes onto a baseball field during a pregame ceremony I, I understand putting the ashes on the field. Maybe just do that, like, at the in the bullpen or something, or in right field where the guy died. You know, where, you know, he lived his life of baseball. But come on. The, watch The Natural. It's on HBO Max. Or watch a YouTube clip of The Natural. Just say, The Natural right fielder dies. And you'll see that scene. It's like, as sad as that is in the movie, and like I said, I hate laughing about it, but Why? I throw cremated ashes from an airplane above the stadium. You literally see them throwing the ashes like it's it's like it's sand. Throwing sand out of an airplane, but it's somebody's cremated ashes being thrown on fans. Like that's kind of gross. It's a, little, it's a little gross. Anyways, the movie of the week this week is the Creed series. Creed one. Um, I really liked it. I liked Creed one better than Creed two. Um, I like that he, he got Rocky Balboa to train him. I like the process of which he did it and Rocky's hesitation to do it. I think, I think that was a storyline in itself. The fact that, um, Bianca, the girlfriend of, of, uh, Adonis, um, got involved. So you got, you know, just the fact that you got a lot of elements in that movie in terms of sports, competition, action, love, affection, romance, comedy. You got some comedic aspects in there. Um, it's just a cool movie, and um, just the way that Adonis Creed was able to continue his father's Apollo Creed's legacy in his own is quite remarkable. And the fact that he also started in Mexico um, and a 16-0 fighter. I know I'm acting like this is a real story, but the way that the writers went about this story made made Adonis Creed feel like a real character, feel like a real fighter. Same thing with Rocky Balboa. That's why I love the Rocky Balboa series is because it, ma- it made me feel like they are real fighters, right? Like, that's what I love about these kinds of movies is you, it, it makes you connect with the character. And I feel connected with Adonis Creed. And then in the second movie, with the Ivan Drago fight, you know, Drago has a son. You know that woman in, the, in, in Rocky 3? No, Rocky 4, sorry. Where obviously they went to Russia to fight after Apollo Creed got killed by Ivan Drago in the ring, 
Um, hence why Adonis Creed wanted to fight because he wanted revenge. Um, they go to Russia. Rocky Balboa goes to Russia, beats Ivan Drago. Ivan Drago goes into a deep depression. Everyone hates him in Russia. His wife leaves him, but he also has a small baby boy named Victor Drago. So Victor Drago is the guy that Adonis fights. So it's Adonis versus Victor in the second movie of Creed. I like this setup because um, you get those Rocky IV feels. You know, I thought Rocky IV was the best one because um, not only is it, you know, made in the era of the Cold War, but it really amps up the fact that if you look at Rocky's speech, look on YouTube, Rocky's speech after the fight uh, between him and Ivan Drago, the fact that he says, you know, two people fighting in the ring is better than 20 million. And that hit me in the heart. Like, you know, I'm a big advocator for world peace and, you know, no wars. And obviously it's more complicated than that. But, um, you know, I love that quote. You know, two people fighting in the ring is better than 20 million people. And um, that's what I loved about that movie. And, and it kind of re- revitalized what happened in Creed 2, right? You know, where Adonis, you know, Loses bad in his first fight against Victor, but Victor gets disqualified because he throws a uppercut while Adonis is grounded on the ring, and so obviously Victor wins the fight, but he gets disqualified because of that th- punch, making Adonis still the champion. So that constitutes a rematch between the two, and of course Adonis. Um, spoiler alert: If you haven't seen the movie, Adonis wins the second fight um, because Ivan Drago, Victor Drago's coach, comes in and throws the towel like Rocky Balboa should have done with Apollo Creed in Rocky IV when Apollo Creed was getting his ass whooped by Ivan Drago. So, yeah, um, that's my take. And uh, if I was a sports analyst... That's what I would have said, you know, throwing the towel, you know, like this past weekend with um, the fight between, um, gosh, I'm brain farting, uh, Billy Joe Saunders and uh, Canelo Alvarez, you know, Saunders corner threw the towel in, in the eighth round because he knew that he wasn't going to be able to fight against the pound for pound best fighter in the world. Um, so that's boxing, a good, uh, good set of boxing analytics there. Um, but those are my two movies I enjoyed that I was able to watch it on the plane um, if you ever need like a tip with your phone or iPad on the planet or even your laptop, download a movie, watch it on the plane. You ent- you kind of get lost in the sauce, and before you know it, you're landed and you're wherever you want to be. You know, I don't like plane rides. I haven't flown a plane in over a year, especially during COVID, and I have to wear a mask the whole time. I'm just gonna wear a mask the whole time. Didn't even have to go to the bathroom at all, especially since I was sitting on the window seat. Like, I didn't, you know, I didn't want to disturb the fine people sitting next to me by getting up and be like, hey, can I go to the bathroom? I used to be the kid that would go to the bathroom like five times in one trip on a plane. Not five times. It's a little over-exaggerating. Maybe like three. But uh, I, you know what? When you're watching a good movie like Creed and Creed 1 and 2, you know, you're, 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 you're you don't, bathrooms just don't exist. So, um, but yeah. Those are the movies of the week, the sports movies of the week. Creed 1, Creed 2, honorable mention, The Natural. Go and watch The Natural. It's a fun movie. I might discuss that again 
Um, but it's on HBO Max. HBO Max is my primary source for movies, and I'll be getting a lot of that off of HBO Max because HBO Max is the greatest of all times in terms of movies, streaming movies. Netflix is secondary, I would say. Netflix also has a great source of it. I've also been watching Criminal Minds with uh, Olivia. Shout out to my beautiful girlfriend, Olivia, for getting me into Criminal Minds. It's a fun show. Uh, it's just, it's a little quirky sometimes and obviously very, um, graphic, but, uh, still fun if you're, if you're into, um, crime drama, that is your show, uh, Criminal Minds. I'm sure it's, I'm sure you're probably, whoever's listening has probably watched it. Um, but yeah, that is that. So, that is that for the final sports segment of the day today. Um, I want to get into, uh, the history of Monday Night Sports Talk in this final segment here. Um, coming up, this is the 200th episode of Monday Night Sports Talk, meaning that a lot has happened. We've seen a lot. I've met a lot of people, which means I have to thank some people. I don't have to. I need to because they deserve it. Everybody who was involved in Monday Night Sports Talk deserves a thank you and a recognition here on a very, very milestone-esque show. So with that being said, thank you so much for listening to the sports that were presented today on today's show. It's been quite the adventure over three, nearly three hours of sports. Can you believe it? I can. I believe it. I believe it. I could have gone five hours today. But for the sake of your time, I'll go three hours. <laughs> I think it's like the longest I've gone solo. I know I could go much longer, but uh, this is pretty long. This is pretty long. All right, folks, I will see you on the other side here on the one, uh, not the 100, the 200th episode of Money Mass Sports Talk. Coming up, give a nice uh, couple shout outs here, a tribute to the 200th episode here of Monday Mass Sports Talk. Stay tuned. This is Noah Fessestein, host of Monday Madness Sports Talk, and I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in for this week's episode of MMST. I want to remind you, if you want merchandise, please email me at noah.festenstein at gmail.com. Welcome in to Monday Madness Sports Talk, your one-stop shop for all things Chicago sports and beyond, right here on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Welcome, welcome back to the 200th edition of Monday Madness Sports Talk. This is the final segment of the show today here with your host, Noah Festenstein. For 200 episodes, I have said that it is your host, Noah Festenstein. But I have not been the only host that has graced the airways of Monday Madness Sports Talk. Uh, I got to give that special shout out that I have done many times, deservedly so, to all four other co-hosts that have been involved with Monday Madness Sports Talk. First and foremost, Blaze Mesa, who started us off um, between, I would believe, episode 28 to about 60, and then from 65 to um, 107. Actually, not 100. It was like 101 or something of that nature. Um, with James Jefferson, and then I believe at around 75, Cesar Sanchez joins. So it was James Jefferson and Cesar Sanchez with me, talking all the latest in Chicago sports on 88.3 FM, Harper College Radio. So with that being said, all the people who um, got involved with myself at Harper College Radio, that was my start. That was 
the start that I needed in my broadcasting career, and I couldn't have had asked for any better college radio station to do it at. Uh, you know, they gave me so many ample opportunities to do what I would love to do, and that was talk sports and to make this Monday Man of Sports Talk program flourish to the way it has today will not be the case without WHCM FM 88.3 at Harper College Radio. You know, the, the fact that I was able to get my first experience on an FM frequency definitely um, it, it helps me a lot. You know, it disciplines me to do the best that I can be in front of a microphone. And that's what I needed. You know, if I started as a podcast like I'm doing now, I don't think I would have taken it as seriously, you know? And when you're in front of a microphone at a professional setting on an FM frequency, it's a whole different ballgame. And for me to do that at first, to start off my broadcasting career, was everything to me. So shout out to WHTM FM 88.3. Brian Shelton, the advisor over there, who gave me so many opportunities to host, to help um, in the background scenes at WHTM with management and also the sports side of the station. And most recently, actually, I got the great opportunity to call some Harper baseball games on 88.3 FM with a remote broadcasting uh, system that we used. So that was actually three weeks ago I ended that. So shout out to WHTM for allowing me to do that and to help just propel WH- to, to help propel Monday Man of Sports Talk. And uh, it's just been such a pleasure you know, I got the pleasure to have so many different people on that show live. Um, obviously, this isn't live, but um, you know, at, in in that case, um, you know, like I said, discipline is a big word because you know it's different when you're doing something live when you're doing something pre-recorded. But ever since I've done stuff live, both at WHCM and Radio DePaul, which I'll get to in a couple seconds here, um, is that. Doing something live disciplines you to be on top of things, to do things the right way, and to not have to... It's a certain amount of pressure to the point where I'm disciplined, and I know how to do this, even if it's pre-recorded. And I've always treated my pre-records as a live podcast. If I screw something up, maybe I'll go back and edit it out, but usually I'll keep it in, because that's part of broadcasting, is to act vulnerable, and to be vulnerable to doing greater things because of those mistakes. And I think that's a testament to life is, you know, make yourself vulnerable to making mistakes because they happen. They're supposed to happen. That's a natural form of life and mistakes happen. And honestly, mistakes led into this show. I wanted to be fun fact. I wanted to be an architect when I was growing up. I wanted to build roller coasters. Still kind of do want to build roller coasters because I love it so much, but I never really thought of the idea of being on air and talking and doing sports. And I knew I always wanted to do something in sports, but, um, or be an athlete of some sorts, but you know, it's so hard and I want to be involved in some way, shape or form. And this is the avenue I want to do it in. And that means a lot to me. And the opportunities that I've gotten from WHCM at first, really started me off on the right foot. And I could not thank WHCM-FM, Harper College Radio, any more than I ever, I already have had. And I, I, I think if I said, if, if you got, if you the listener got a nickel for every single time I said thank you to WHCM, um, you'd be rich, man. You, you'd be uh, buying a house in Malibu. Anyways, Radio DePaul Sports. Radio DePaul Sports. Slips right out of the tongue, doesn't it? Uh, Ran into Radio DePaul Sports. They uh, obviously recognized um, what WHGM and W um, and how during the 107 episodes hosted at WHGM FM 88.3, they saw it. They saw 
that, you know, Monday Mass Sports Talk was a valuable piece to Radio DePaul Sports, and that meant a lot to me at first. So shout-outs to the management team um, that was at Radio DePaul Sports back in 2018 uh, for giving me such great opportunities to do what I wanted to do and continue the momentum that I left off with right at WHM. Because literally what happened was um, the summer of 2018, I hosted Monday Mass Sports Talk even beyond graduating Harper College. WHM allowed me to continue, hence why... We've reached 200 episodes already. You know, I got so many opportunities during the summer, even while not at Harper College. And they, you know, kept me going. And then at two weeks after my last episode of WHM became my first episode at Radio DePaul Sports with none other than my good friend, Kobe Marcio. Shout out to you, Kobe. Um, he was the only co-host that um, graced the airwaves or the streamwaves, if you may say, at Radio DePaul Sports. And he was only on for 10 episodes, but for those 10 episodes, it was quite the experience. Kobe is such a great guy. He's a great podcaster. Check him out. Um, Kobe does a lot of great stuff. He does a women's in sports podcast. And, of course, his um, other podcast that he does. Just search him up. C. Marcio, man. Uh, great great dude, and uh, uh, thank you to him for hosting with me for the 10 episodes. And the first episode at Radio DePaul Sports wasn't actually on Radio DePaul Sports because we didn't know how to get the show on the streamways properly with the equipment. But uh, that's just... Um, and I'm, I think I might post that episode sometime um, in the near future. Um, but uh, and thank you to everyone at Radio DePaul Sports and even Radio DePaul giving me the opportunity to do shows at many different levels there. And um, for me to do was up until episode 163 or 64 um, when the pandemic hit. Um, that's, you know, the experience I had, you know, every single episode from 132 has been posted here on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts. So you can really experience what it was truly like developing my style at Radio DePaul Sports. And there's a couple episodes, throwback episodes that I did with Caesar and James that are also posted on this page. Check it out. All I got to do is scroll down a little bit and um, you'll see that it says throwback episode. Monday Mass Sports Talk, and you can click on it, see what it's like at WHCM, and see what it, you know, this is what it's like now. After the pandemic hit, I still had a quarter left at DePaul, and Radio DePaul Sports has a streaming page, so I was able to buy the microphone that you're hearing me use right now, um, and I've been able to use Adobe Audition and um, post it on Anchor FM, so just thank you to Anchor um, FM, obviously, I don't know if there's a group of executives at Anchor FM who listen to this show, but uh, this huge shout out to Anchor.fm, in which I post my podcast on, uh, helping it distribute to over 10 different podcasting platforms, um, which has been vital for me to continually share my content here. Without it, I don't know where I'd be with Monday Mass Sports Talk right now. Um, and I just think that's quite remarkable. Uh, the development that Monday Mass Sports Talk has gone through. Um, beyond college radio. Also, speaking of which, um, right after the pandemic, I was able to send audio files of the show back to WHCM FM, Harper College Radio, and they shared my pre-recordings on their streamways because they wanted to share my sports content and Monday Mass Sports Talk. So for them to continually share the love of Monday Mass Sports Talk meant so much to me at the time. Um, last year, about this time last year, was exactly when Monday Mass Sports Talk was back in 88.3 FM. I think that was about eight episodes, if I'm correct. Um, so check that out. That was, I think, between 64 or, or 66 and like 75 or something, 74 or 75. Um, 
So check those out. You, you got all these episodes you can check out on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. So check them out. Um, so that being said, um, anyone who has been a guest on the show, anyone who has supported the show as a listener, whether that's you come on for 30 seconds or you're like, hey, this guy sucks, I'm leaving, I still appreciate you, man. You know, just to come in and check it out and, uh, you know, be at least some part of it. Even if you tell me I suck, I still love you. <laughs> Somewhat. Not as much, but I still love you. Um, and, uh, yeah, it just means a lot for you to just come and share the love of sport with me. And uh, for that to happen throughout 200 episodes and to develop myself as a broadcaster and hopeful analyst in the future um, is something that I greatly am blessed to have in my life. Um, to have you, the listener, with me. And for those who support this on a daily basis and ask me what's, you know, people ask me, you know, what, what's up next for Money Mad Sports Talk? You know, it really warms my heart. So if you ever want to reach out to me, feel free to. I'm on Instagram, Noah underscore Fest. Again, that's Noah, my first name, underscore Fest. The first four letters of my last name. I got these. <laughs> ah, thank you, though. And if you said bless you, thank you for that as well. Anyways, that is that. For episode 200, this is not the end of the Monday Mass Sports Talk saga. May the madness reign for many years to come. For many more episodes. Wherever I go in my broadcasting career, I really, really do hope that I can bring this sports talk program with me. Whether or not it takes on a new name, a new take, but you still got your host, Noah Festenstein, here on May 10th. 2021 so blessed to have such a great listener as yourself in my life coming on sharing the love of sport it is the best of times in my life and i cannot be any more grateful for it for myself noah festenstein monday mass sports talk and all who are involved i will bid you adieu until next week for episode 201 i will see you then take care